latest edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, HagmanReport.com. Hagman Report, uh, our guest, very special guest, Matt Bracken. And I, I was saying during the break, and I mean this, really one of my favorite guests, my favorite guest in terms of the analysis of current events, the, the, uh, um, social problems, the, the political, poli sci problems, basically, what we're having right now. And his analysis is spot on. He's got, uh, a resume that would, uh, that people, I mean, his resume looks, it's unbelievable. But his new book, and it's very, very, very good, folks. It is very good. It is The Red Cliffs of Zerhoon. And Matt's a, uh, just a talented writer. Now, for those people who think I'm taking too long, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, we are going to, uh, skip the bottom of the hour break because the, the network break, because every word, uh, from Mr. Bracken, in my view, is extremely important. But this book, The Red Cliffs of Zerhoon, it's, uh, written, it, it's really an allegory, and, uh, it, it, it's really, it, it addresses, uh, well, that's, it, it poses, it, it posits, will, will Western man rise to the defense of, uh, of, uh, our, our civilization? I mean, or quiet, or will we quietly submit to the dark forces? At right. the of barbarism, and, and it's it's so well done. Uh, I'm so proud to have this in my library, and I'm going to get another one because uh, I'm going to put it in the guest room. I've got family coming this week. This is a book I want them to read. No, I'm serious about that. So, anyway, Red Cliffs of Zerhun. It is out, right? This yeah. Is- so it's and the paper books are just percolating their way into Amazon. It's kind mm-hmm. of a uh, palletizing truck shipment snafu about how long it takes to get. Anyway, I wish that the, the Kindle, I, I would tried to have the Kindle to coincide with the paper books getting out, but the Kindle's apparently beating it by yeah. about two weeks. That's but why I paper asked. Paper books are coming out. Yeah, okay. Cause I, I, w- I wasn't sure, and the delivery date is murky at best on Amazon. Well, so. I have the, I have signed copies that I send out. So, I mean, I, when they're printed, I get boxes sent right to my house. Okay. But the the pallets that go to Amazon apparently it takes longer. When you have one pallet on a truck full of pallets, it's not like that truck goes straight to Amazon, is unloaded, and then those cartons are put right onto the conveyor belt. Apparently, the truck has to go all over uh, Robin Hood's barn. <laughs> Finally, the pallet gets to Amazon that you want offloaded. Then that pallet gets into a queue with a million other pallets. Yep. Anyway, that's yeah. something I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, again, uh, Matt Bracken, uh, enemies foreign and domestic. Before we get back to him, greeninnovative.com, greeninnovative.com. Go there, folks. Their products are fantastic. Uh, they're running a sale to the end of the month. It's, you gotta mention Hagman, right? Yeah, promo code what? Hagman. Promo code it's 12 Hagman. or 13% discount. Uh, you, you need their stuff. You, you, need, you need battery chargers. And they using salt water. To, they continue to tailor the, the product to the Hagman listeners. So you can. That's right. They've increased the number of, of the GMAG power pucks you can get. They increase the numbers of batteries you can charge and recharge. And folks, uh, give Alan Riggs a call if you have any questions. The number's right there on the website, greeninnovative.com. Um, you never know when you're going to need the power that comes from these rechargeable batteries in times of emergency. So make sure you go to greeninnovative.com. Okay. Now, I want to thank Alan Riggs for that. Now, Joe and, and, and Matt, right before the break, we were talking about the seditious activity, uh, really criminality of of Comey, of Lynch, and and even uh, now former DNI Clapper and Brennan, former CIA, 
we were talking talking about that. And of course, the target right now, to, in my view, is to kill kill either metaphorically or for real the president and the presidency of the United States. They're obviously trying to delegitimize both. Uh, yeah, if 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 um, for example, I think that if if Trump is goaded into firing Mueller, and that's certainly not out of the realm of possibility, I think that you'll have every Democrat vote for impeachment. And you'll have maybe 10% of Republicans also vote for, vote for impeachment. Unlike when, uh, Bill Clinton was impeached, that was straight party line. The Republicans didn't have enough. Some Republicans were too cowardly even to vote for it themselves. But if, if there's a call to impeach Trump after he fires Mueller, you'll probably see 10 or 15% of Republicans go along with it because these are deeply embedded swamp creatures and they're also threatened by Trump. You have to understand, at least in my opinion, I would say a, a good half of the Republicans in Congress do not like being in the majority party at all. They get called racist every day. They're, they get way too much attention to what they're doing. It's a lot easier to be a go-along, get-along, a minority party. You still get, you still get invited to all the, uh, on the junkets. You still get your payola. You're still going to leave Congress a millionaire with a gold-plated pension. Why take all the hassles being called a racist and a hater and an Islamophobe every day? It's so much easier just to coast along behind the Democrats. So I'm convinced that it wouldn't just be McCain there are, and Lindsey Graham. I think 10% of uh, Republicans tomorrow would vote to impeach Trump, and he'd be gone. So, I mean, yeah, we're in extremely perilous times. There's no doubt about it. Very dangerous times. What do you think the people's reaction to that would be? I think we're heading for a civil war. Um the the main there's a nexus between politics and media obviously that I but it, it's it's so tight I've never seen anything like it you know you've got uh, the Awan brothers it looks like they're uh, spies for Pakistani intelligence service as well as Hezbollah and Hamas they've been burrowed into the Democrat uh, uh, computer system you don't see a minute of it on mainstream media it's just all Russia all the time. So it's, it's all about weaponized media and sticking to a, a party narrative. You know, the narrative is Trump is a Russian tool. That's it. Uh, Mueller's going to find something and charge him. Trump's going to fire Mueller. Then they're going to try to impeach Trump. Well, but man. I think that, I think that could easily spin off into a civil war because people won't buy it. Exactly. And, and what you were talking about in the last segment, I didn't get a chance to ask you this. You know, we see, as you just said, the the way that the media and the political world uh, are working hand in hand to, you know, spread lies, disinformation, and paint Trump as, as some lunatic, you know, the uh, despot. But the people, I mean, the media has less of a, an approval rating than Congress for the most part. And everyday well, working Americans aren't buying the, the crap that they were putting out there. Something, something that's very important to to understand also is. Uh, a civil war isn't just going to start when 51% of the people all vote in a referendum. Let's have a civil war. You know, in, in Charleston, South Carolina, when they fired on Fort Sumter, the hotheads got a vote. You know, it wasn't necessarily they went door to door taking a poll. Do you think we should fire these cannons at Fort Sumter tomorrow? You know, the, the hotheads sometimes get to fire the cannons. So it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, 55% of Americans are going to wake up and say let's have a civil war you know if if for example 
uh, Trump is assassinated. If his helicopter bl- blows up and they put it down to an engine malfunction, um, if he's poisoned by uh, something that's like a some type of an untraceable LSD, and believe me, groups like the, the CIA, this is right in there. This is right in their corner. You know, the, the same guys that could, for example, very plausibly cause Michael Hastings, the Rolling Stone reporter, who was about to do a his next story was going to be on Brennan after taking out McChrystal. Uh, you know, they they can very plausibly via the Bluetooth connection cause a, a modern brand new Mercedes to go full speed with no brakes. Uh, they can certainly get a somebody to get somebody to get somebody to put a few drops of something into something that Trump consumes or something that he even touches that would not necessarily cause him to die but might cause him, for example, to have a stroke or to uh, start speaking like he's on LSD. And this would actually be a better form of assassination than shooting him, which would cause him to have sympathy. It would be much better to have him start acting paranoid or irresponsible. So poison would be the, a, a tremendous assassination tool because it doesn't cause sympathy. It causes people to think he's crazy and needs to be medically removed, which makes it more likely that that type of attempt would actually be made. But no matter what happens, if Trump doesn't finish the four years, I think that the hotheads on the right and potentially hotheads on the left using false flags, because false flags are used because they're effective. I mean, they're they're used in war after war after war. You know, the World War II, the Germans actually dressed up like Czechs to attack a little radio station and blame it on, you know, the enemy fascist or enemy commandos that hate the Germans. You know, it it. it False flags happen because they work. And it would be very easy, I think, to trip this country into a, an Argentina 1970s uh, style dirty war where known politicians, celebrities, etc., start getting sniped or start getting carjacked, you know, or start getting shot at their doorstep or their kids are kidnapped. You know, we're very close to that, I fear. Uh, you know, I, I certainly hope that I'm wrong about that, but I see us teetering very close to the to the brink of a boiling volcano, and I don't know what it what might cause the the actual uh, tipping point. You know, there are so many of them, but um, I, I see the odds of Trump getting through the next four years without either an attempt to take him out or an impeachment as pretty low. Uh, yeah, I may, agree. Maybe we'll be able to push back. If I was him, I would advise going after uh, Mueller every day. As, and just mock him. You know, it's the Alinsky tac- tactic of mockery. And just every day make a joke about Mueller and Comey being, you know, uh, F- best friends forever, going back forever. You know, and, and how did Rosenstein, of everybody he could have picked, he picked uh, Comey's best friend. They've had each other's back for 20 years. Not only as friends, but I'm convinced when you know where the bodies are buried, when you've helped to quash investigations, you know, when you've helped to bury things that are very damaging, that gives people control over you later on because it can be revealed that why did that investigation get dead-ended? You know, who was the final person that signed off on killing that investigation? Why it was, it was, it was you, Mueller, it was you, Comey, it was you, Rosenstein. So these guys all have mutual blackmail on each other, which makes it very, very difficult to penetrate. But that's why I think that this is happening right now, because some of these cats like Lynch and and uh, and Comey 
certainly could be looking at, at heavy prison time. If you just if you just look at the timeline, go to Wikipedia, go to any of these biography sites, and you look at where Lynch, Comey, Mueller, Rosenstein, McCabe, where they've worked for the last 25 years. Put them all on the same timeline with the Clintons. You know, Obama comes in late, but the Clintons and those cats, put them all on a timeline, and it's like musical chairs. Now it's my year to get the payoff working for a corporation for five million bucks for a no-show job. Now it's my year to work as a, as a uh, uh, U.S. attorney and make sure that HSBC gets a slap on the wrist and nobody goes to jail. You know, that's how this this uh, musical chairs game works in Washington, and they're very vulnerable. They're and the more vulnerable they are, the more desperate they're going to be to get to take out Trump, and the media is going to stay with them in lockstep. So we're we're really literally living in a kind of a game of thrones, and I can just only tell people that it's a poker game, and all we see is one card, if that, and the card we're probably seeing is a fake. You know, it's not even the card in play. Any cards we see in this poker game, we're meant to see. It's a great you know, point. It's a play. Believe me. That's that's a great point. Uh, Mr. Brecken, what do you think about the reports of Debbie Washington? You mentioned the Iwan brothers. What do you think about the reports of Debbie Washington Schultz being unable to function? Uh, what was the term? Absolutely. Um, she's basically she's a, away. She's just a blubbering idiot right now. There's not, not enough Xanax on the planet to get her by uh, after the arrest of Imran Iwan. By the way, I, I don't know. I, I know you're up on, on that, but there there's four brothers and Two wives, Pakistani intelligence connected, treated like dignitaries, working for 31 House Democrats. Um, Visiting Obama in the White House. Exactly, exactly. And many people think this is the, the first domino to fall yeah, uh, in a what, series of many. Was, was that, was the arrest of, because, yeah, I need, we need to ask you about this. Um, they got Imran Awan on. Um, the guy might hang himself in jail. She might hang herself. Uh, true. And, and you'll never know. And you'll never know if it was a, a hanging with assistance. Yeah. You know, there. This is also at the level where you know the guy could eat something bad and die of food poisoning in prison. Hey, hey, you know, happens, you know? yeah. We're 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 playing at the level where, you know, I'm not. I don't know for a fact. Nobody does. Was Seth was Seth Rich, you know, offed as a political assassination? It, I think it's likely. But certainly the key players believe that it can be, hap- it could happen. You know, when somebody like Seth Rich just happens to get killed at just the right time, and he's an IT guy that is a Bernie Sanders supporter, uh, other people that are thinking, you know what, if I, t- if I go against this Clinton machine, I could wind up dead. You know, I could seriously wind up dead. Look and it's their body and count. It's, and it's not only the body count. Um, I forget one, one of the, one of the ladies that was uh, harassed by the Clintons, um, her name's escaping me at the moment. Uh, she was one of the ones that was basically not raped, but um, one of the ones who was. Kathleen uh, Willie, I think. But yeah, she had her cat like killed and put on her doorstep. You know, you come out every morning and you've got all four flat tires again. You come out tomorrow and you got four flat tires again, and your cat is dead on your porch, and people are driving by your house giving you the, you know, the, uh, you know, the stink eye. Um, it makes it tends to make people very scared, and that's the level that these guys play at. You know, Fusion Fusion GPS, which is basically an Intel cutout firm, at the level that they're doing this quote unquote opposition research, which is really they they specialize in inserting smears and libel into the public narrative 
both for blackmail purposes and to discredit people. You know, at the level of this, if they, they, if they don't kill the cat, they know how to hire the guy that kills the cat. Okay? And the guy that kills the cat knows a guy that'll kill you. So when, when you're talking about the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton Global Initiative, and billions with a V dollars are involved, billions of dollars are sloshing around, for a few hundred thousand dollars, you can get people killed. Believe me. For less than that. And it's not Hillary Clinton picking up a phone and saying, I want you to kill this guy, uh, Seth Rich. It's not how it happens. It's cutouts to cutouts to cutouts. Who will rid me of this, you know? But something to keep in mind also when you, when you look at people like, uh, this Chris Steele character or, uh, Natalia V, the Russian babe. If, and this is how I look at it. If, if somebody was a SEAL or a Green Beret in his 20s, and then he works for uh, Blackwater as a contractor in his 30s, and then he works, maybe it's at the CIA and maybe it's at an NGO, because if he's a knock, a non-official cover guy, it'll be that he's working for an NGO, but he's really a CIA guy, a made CIA guy. Then in his 50s, he goes out and he starts a company like Fusion GPS, is he a private operator or is he still a CIA guy? Right? So yeah. Fusion GPS is a cutout for nefarious deeds done by intelligence agencies. Is that the FSB? It, did the original information come from the FSB? Remember what we learned about the CIA last year was that they can, they can do, um, when, when they get, got these when they collected these uh, Trojan horse, what do they call it, the programs, these virus programs, they collect them and make a uh, sort of a zoology of these, of these, um, uh, what's, what's the term I'm trying to find for taking or hacking, these hacking tools. So they, they can falsely put Russian fingerprints by using a tool they collected from Russian hackers. Misdirected so attribution. Matt. Misdirected attribution, right. So, the Russian dossier, you know, looks like it's got Kremlin stamped on it. This is also what the CIA does. And I'm not saying just the CIA. Mossad, FSB, this is what they all do. You don't make a file that incriminates the, your own capital. You make a file that incriminates the other capital. So we're, we're in, we're way into what, what the term of art is, the wilderness of mirrors. You know, it's one of those glass fun houses. Some walls are see-through glass. Some way, walls are one-way mirrors. Some are two-way mirrors. And you have so many reflecting that you don't know what you're looking at. And, and that's where we are now. And unfortunately, uh, to a greater extent than I've ever seen in my life, and as of back in the 70s, there were reporters who actually, you know, worked for the CIA. I mean, it's like what they did. After the Church Commission and other things that happened in the 70s, they weren't supposed to do that anymore. But I've never seen a co-opted American Pravda school of journalism the way we're seeing now. You know, you can you can write you can write the news headline for each of the network what's going to be on at 10 o'clock tonight. You can write it right now because you know what what the narrative is they're pushing. You don't need to see what the news are news is. You can just tell what they're going to tell you at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And it's, and as much as anything, it's omission as commission. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm involved in a, a film project right now, a documentary film called Lies of Omission. 
and I don't know if you can see over my shoulder back on that wall anyway. Yeah. But lies of omission, what the media just doesn't show at all. It's like in, back in the Soviet Union days, you know, there, the whole news would be the grain record, you know, the tractor factory set a record. They're not going to show you anything that's the real news. And we're into that American Pravda era today. And on the mainstream media, I'll be amazed if you can see the Awan brothers. Just like, um, yeah, no, you won't. During, yeah, during the Fast and Furious days, imagine. I wrote, a, I wrote a, something on my website floating around called um, Gangster Government and Sakharov's Immunity. Um, if, imagine a plot to discredit the Second Amendment because you want to get rid of, of the sale of assault rifles because you recognize you're never going to be able to turn this into a Marxist utopia while people have rifles that are effective. Never. So what are we going to do? We're going to, we're going to slime the Second Amendment by racking up a body count in Mexico. We're going to deliberately get Mexicans murdered for the purpose of having an American weapon at the body that can be traced back to a gun store in Arizona. And the ATF and FBI are going to pressure the gun, the gun store uh, dealers, are going to tell the dealers, we don't care about the paperwork for this one. A guy's going to come in, he's going to pay with cash that we're going to give him. And he's going to drive right over the border with, you know, Barrett 50 calibers, AK-47 semi-auto, AR-15s, and you're just going to approve it. And the gun store owners say, I can't do that. I could go to jail. Hey, we're ordering you to do it. In fact, uh, there was one gun, uh, a family of uh, a gun dealer family in Deming, New Mexico. They went to prison over this. They didn't have any evidence of proof, uh, exculpatory proof. Um, another another gun store in uh, Phoenix, they actually, when they got this pressure meeting by the ATF, they had their own clandestine recordings in that meeting. So when the ATF came around to try to blackmail them, and then later at, when Fast and Furious was all coming to light, they were actually going to charge these gun dealers with the crime of doing what they'd been ordered to do. And it was only when tapes of these meetings where they were being ordered by our ATF to commit these crimes, ordered to do it. That's at the beginning of when uh, the whole the whole Fast and Furious started spilling out. Um, Cheryl Atkinson, a great reporter, she was involved near the beginning, but it was really two gun rights writers, um, Matt Van, uh, Mike Vanderbal and uh, David Codria, who who um, got the leaks from the ATF agents. That's how people like Cheryl Atkinson ever found out at the, be- at the beginning, anyway. Uh, she's a great reporter, but it was really David Codria and Mike Vanderbal. Um, anyway, um, Vanderbal died uh, not too long ago, but he did a lot of taping last year. And uh, I'm going to be in this documentary along with uh, with Codria and uh, Claire Wolf. Uh, you know, uh, she's a another you know writer like myself. You know, famous for saying, you know, it's uh, we're at that awkward stage where. It's too late to work within the system for change, but it's too soon to shoot the bastards. Well, you know, every every morning when I wake up and I see that the news is just talking about the same same stuff as yesterday, I breathe a big heavy sigh of relief because, you know, our whole world can be turned over uh, on any given day, from many directions. We're in a we're in a very dangerous situation. I, I feel like we live in that that uh, Grenfell Tower over in London, you know, with the flammable. Sheathing and no sprinkler system. 
All somebody's got to do is make a mistake in any apartment. Electrical short, grease fire, the whole tower is going to be a torch. And I kind of feel like that's uh, almost an analogy for the United States right now. We're a a gasoline-soaked house of cards, and it's not going to take much to set this thing off. I hope I'm wrong. You know, I I really hope I'm wrong. I I hope you're wrong, too. And, you know, as much as the media continues to – What's interesting is, uh, you know, I listened to, to Michael Savage the other day, yesterday, I think, and he made a point about, there's a story about an Islamic center in Davis, California, that's under fire for a, a two-hour sermon that called for the annihilation of all uh, Jews. And, you know, this is another area where the media is completely silent. But he made the point that, you know, the media is sitting there calling the, the, the Trump supporters deplorables and right-wing extremists and, you know, labeling them as the enemy when, in truth, they're, they themselves are the enemy and they continue to protect these enemies. And one thing I do believe is no matter what the mainstream media is putting out there, I believe either the, peop- the people know, uh, for the most part, what's really going on. And I believe that the media has lost so much credibility in the eyes of the Americans that it's pretty much just a, a joke or for entertainment purposes or for the, the few percent that go there to have their belief system reinforced. But I say that to say this, that that category, to have their belief system reinforced, maybe is only 15 to 20% of the people. Now, even with that percentage, that would be a, a heck of a battle if it came to fighting in the streets. But I don't think these people have the, the hearts and minds of the American people the way they think they do. And I'm thinking, you know, one misstep or, or, or miscalculation uh, to do some of the things you're talking about will end in the total destruction of these people. Do, do you see that as uh, a possibility? Sure, it, it can happen that way because, you know, there have been uh, uh, civil wars that ended up in a spasm. There was one in Finland where all the communists were killed. There was one in, Indo- in like, mix up Indonesia and Malaysia in the 60s where all the communists were just wiped out. Uh, you know, just it's like we've had it, that's it, we're not putting up with it anymore, we know who you are, and there'll be an extreme shortage of left-wing professors on campus next semester. You know, because these guys act like they're untouchable. <laughs> Every day they're pouring poison on the roots of the tree, and they're visible. We, we see you every day pouring poison on the roots of the tree, the tree that grows the fruit for our children. And at a certain point when there's a, a break point in the society, and I, I liken it to a, a slip fault, you know, where the pressures build up and build up, and you you feel little tremblers. You know, little small Richters, but eventually there's a big release of energy. Uh, and at the end of that re- release of energy, you know, g- goodness knows what kind of a country we might be living in. My problem with any of these scenarios is when, when I, when I game them out, you know, chess wise, I game them out steps ahead. Uh, the grid almost always goes down. You know, almost every faction gets a veto on electrical power. You know, if you, Demand that the farmers bring food to the cities because it's a it's an emergency and FEMA demands it. The farmers might say, "Well, the problem is the cities, not me," and I and I don't think that it's right that they have electricity and I don't. So I'm just going to go out and shoot these power lines. If that happens widespread. The cities go black. Uh, you know, their hackers could do it. Um, people in cities shooting at transformers. You know, how come our side of the avenue doesn't have electricity when your side does have electricity? It's not fair. I'm going to shoot the transformer on your side. You know, it can, there, there are a lot of scenarios at the end of the day. There's no electricity. And it all comes down to food. 
you know, the, everybody needs to eat every day. And we have evolved in a, a magnificent conveyor system for bringing food from agribusinesses, you know, from 100,000 acre agribusinesses, a food conveyor that goes by all these stops, winds up on your grocery shelf. Often it's frozen. You know, they have these magnificent meals now that are combining a dozen different vegetables and meats. You just throw it in the skillet. It's a magnificent thing. I mean, imagine how many farms it all came from to be blended, put on freezer trucks, put on your table. That can all go away in a blink. And we'll be in a terrible, precarious situation because we don't have warehouses full of cans of food anymore. That's gone. In a couple of weeks, we're out of food. If the cities are in the midst of civil disorder, that won't restart. So, so I'm not sanguine about, oh, we could have a civil war and we'll win. <laughs> and on the other side of it, there won't be any left-wing professors and won't that be great? If that was as far as it went. Yeah. But my, my problem is that all these, everybody gets a veto on electricity. Everybody who's aggrieved and feels like they've been completely shut out of the equation gets to walk over, you know, and turn out the light. And, and, uh, you know, that, that's my biggest fear is what happens in our cities. I mean, it, even looking externally, our enemies are not planning to build bombers to fly over Seattle. You know, they, they might get an EMP bomb from North Korea over the heartland. That's a possibility. But much more likely is just, uh, teams of shooters going around shooting the big transformers. If, if I was an Iranian, uh, special ops colonel, I would say, look, you know, in the meantime, while you're working on the nukes, give me a hundred guys. I can turn off America's power next month. You know, I'll have them cycling into America as students. You know, they'll, they'll spend a semester in, get, come back for reindoctrination, new students, but there'll always be a hundred students in America. And I guarantee you, I can turn off the electricity anytime I get the order. You know, if I can think of that, you don't think they've thought of that? Well, um, um, Matt, uh, April 16th, 2013, Metcalf, Metcalf sniper attack. What was that all about? That was a a proof of concept. As far as I'm concerned, that was the colonel uh, reporting back to Tehran in a scenario saying, this is what I can do with $100,000. You give me a million dollars and I can put the lights out across the entire country just as easily. Instead of one, and this was very sophisticated. They went into, you know, infrastructure tunnels and cut fiber optic lines. They did things that were pretty sophisticated, but the actual kinetic attack was just a Kalashnikov round, 7.62.39 Russian, shooting plate steel, the oil leaks out, and the transformer burns up. Well, that's a scalable attack. All it takes is, is uh, you know, 20 teams instead of one, and the power goes out across half the country or all the country. So I would consider that a proof of operation attack, a proof of concept. Yeah, a couple of sniper rounds, or not a couple, a a number causing $15 million of damage. It didn't Uh, take, it didn't take sniper scopes. It didn't take infrared scopes. It was strictly get within a hundred yards, fire through a chain link fence at a target that's as, as big as a barn. You can't miss. You don't need sniper, you know, trained snipers. You just need guys that can line up the sights and pull the trigger. So Iranian students or, or uh, you know, Islamic State guys, not that I, I think that's less likely. Something like a kinetic attack against the grid would be more likely to operate at the state level. Uh, and I would say something like 
Iran would be capable of that. Uh, possibly North Korea, even with agents in the country. Uh, China, certainly. And the, and the beauty of that also is, you know, if you fire a missile at us, we know where it came from. If our grid goes down, who are we going to blame? Yeah, and just um, to ask one last question to piggyback off the scenario you laid out. You mentioned FEMA, and we obviously know there's the National Guard and different government agencies if there was some kind of civil war or, or uh, widespread domestic unrest. How do you think these agencies would react? I mean, if you have one side of the citizens going at the other... Um, they can't. They can't. They can't. All the all of the all of the sworn federal law enforcement agents, all the badged feds with a gun, a couple hundred thousand. You know, you, compared to what? You know, fifty million Americans with guns. There are not enough. You know, the the, the Katrina is very uh, uh, important to study. It was a national national natural disaster, but it turned into a civil disaster as well. But you have the entire rest of the country rushing to the rescue. Um, and even then, it took FEMA a long time to, you know, move in through dam- the damaged, uh, flooded areas and so forth. But if you're, if you take, uh, 50 Katrinas at one time, there's nothing that the federal government can do. It can't react to 50 Katrinas, which is what would happen if the food is cut off. If the EBT system, just forget the whole electrical grid. You just take out, uh, state elect, uh, EBT systems. Just go on YouTube and, and put in like, EBT riot, and you'll see what happens when uh, the cards fail just for a few hours. People start to lose their minds. So if if there's, I mean, and that's when it's going to be restored in the afternoon or tomorrow. Imagine if EBT just goes down and people have no food at home. Well, they consider food from the government now to be a right. They consider that their money. You know, it's not a gift. It's their right. It's their money, an entitlement. That's what an entitlement means. They're entitled. People will lose their minds. Stores will be looted. There's no way that FEMA can can react to it. I, I wrote a, a fairly lengthy uh, essay a couple of years ago called When the Music Stops, How America's Cities May Erupt in Violence. But, um, yeah, there, there are not enough police. And after a few days, the police were exhausted. You know, you see what happens in France and Germany or, you know, when they have these big riots like the G, uh, G20 riots, they had to bring in police from other countries outside of Germany. And in a couple of days, these guys are so exhausted, they have to turn the threat level down. Like after the, uh, uh, terror attack in the Belgium, Belgian, uh, subway and, uh, uh, airport, everybody's on high alert. All their, all their uh, uh, special cops are on high alert, like doing 12 on, 12 off, day in and day out. After a week, they can't do it anymore. So if, you, if the pressure is maintained past a week, it just leads to a complete breakdown. The police aren't supermen. They don't have nuclear battery you know, packs. They get exhausted. And then eventually they start thinking, i got to take care of my own family. Absolutely. I'm not, re- I'm not reporting to work. And just real quick, what you said about Katrina, that happened. How many officers decided to just leave the force when that disaster happened in order to take care of their own families or get out of the area. Uh, there was a huge shortage of police when that when that first happened. And right. that was just on a micro scale, as you said, compared to, you know, imagine if it's happening in 50 cities. And, and so, so where's, like, the National Guard going to come down on this, given the number of scenarios? 
Any, they, that's that's sort of the theme of my um, third novel, Foreign Enemies and Traitors, right. where there's a um, it begins a year after a major New Madrid earthquake in southeast Missouri, uh, uh, western Tennessee, knocks all the bridges down. Uh, western Tennessee is basically isolated. Unless you're going to fly in in helicopters, you can't get food into Memphis. Memphis goes completely off the rails. Uh, the, the National Guard is not very sophisticated, so they can do things like in a in a benign environment, in a, in a non uh, uh, warfare environment, they can convoy in food. But in a situation like what I'm talking about, the food convoys would be attacked. People would be what much too desperate. And then they'll either they're, they're, it would be like the uh, beginning of Black Hawk Down, where you see the the uh, the relief shipments of trucks of food coming into thousands of people, and they're just looted. What are you going to do? Turn your guns on crowds of starving people? I mean, it's it would go haywire very fast. And the, a big problem, it's just real simple math. It's such a simple equation. What's the shelf life of a bullet? Many decades, right. 20, 30, 40 years. Yep. Guns, centuries. Um, how much food is there? Well, the food will run out before the bullets do. So we'll be in a situation after a couple of weeks where, for most people, there is no more food. It is mass starvation. But there are still people with guns that are hungry. So, you know, you can only imagine where that leads. And it's not a very good place. But, for, yeah, foreign this, Enemies and Traitors does address right. this. And, right. And thank you for for that, folks. Um, Matt Bracken's books, I, I, I can't speak highly any more highly about his books enemiesforeignanddomestic.com go there amazon.com but enemiesforeignanddomestic is third in the series uh, foreign enemies and traitors absolutely thank you um, but uh, I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt but I just want to really punch that home because the way you've written from your experience your analysis is just tremendous yeah, folks if you if you go to my website enemiesforeignanddomestic.com or if you just look up my name on the internet I have written uh, essays like the CW two cube, the Civil War two cube, sort of a, a meta analysis of where where to live, um, what are the most dangerous places to live in a, in a Civil War environment. Is you know there are lots of places that are fun to live in when the electricity is working, but there are some places that are absolutely fatal to be living in if the power goes out, just absolutely fatal. And these aren't unknown, so don't be caught by surprise. So that that. Essay is called the CW2 Cube. Um, then another one is um, what I saw at the coup, which is predicated upon uh, uh, the government deciding to take out its political enemies. When war breaks out in the Middle East, the grid goes down temporarily. That's used as a, as sort of like a time for a purge. Um, in the in the darkness, in the absence of the internet, who's going to miss these guys? When the power comes back on, they're just not around anymore. Somebody reminded me recently when the um, when the Germans moved into Holland and uh, and Denmark, it wasn't uh, you know they didn't lay waste. They just basically rolled in and occupied the places. But in the in the days as the Germans arrived, the the murder rate you know increased like ten thousand percent for that week. And you would think, well, was that the Gestapo? Was that the SS? No, it was grudges being settled. It was people saying, you know what? With the Germans coming in this week, my you know, enemy neighbor that I've wanted to kill for 20 years, if I kill him this week, everybody's going to blame the Germans. 
<laughs> Who's going to be doing criminal investigations if I take care of my enemies this week? So in a, in a type of a scenario like a civil civil disorder, there's going to be a lot of, of coup counted, a lot of uh, scalps taken, just people settling scores, because there's not going to be anybody investigating. You know, not to mention other pathologies. Think about we have millions of people on, on uh, psychotropic medications that would have been locked up for, for paranoid schizophrenia 30, 40 years ago. They're out in the community living normal lives, most of them. God bless them. But a month after this happens, there's no more medication. These people are not only going to be off of their antipsychotic medications, they're going to be more stressed out, hungry, afraid, than they've ever been in their entire lives. That's so you're going to, yeah, you're not going to know who who's walking down the sidewalk with a machete if he's just going to swing it at you as he walks past. You're just not going to know. It's going to. This would be to me an end times scenario, sort of um, God's revenge maybe, or natural law being reasserted. We we are living in a in a fake existence right now. You have a quarter of the population that doesn't work, but they get fed. This is not nature. This is an artificial construct. Eventually, the plug gets pulled on EBT. Eventually. This year, 100 years from now, you know, there's never been a civilization that didn't have some collapse at some point, whether it was the Mayans or you know, the Mesa-dwelling Indians in New Mexico. At some point, people go back and see ruins, and they don't know what happened to that civilization. But at the flowering height of those civilizations, Nobody thought it would end. You know, nobody thought, you know what, as soon as we cut all the trees within three days' walk of here, we're done. Nobody was thinking that way, but it happens to all of them. But it's going to happen to us much faster because now we're, we're living essentially under a, uh, you know, a, a moon dome, a glass moon dome, and we don't even see it. We don't recognize it. But that glass moon dome is electricity and you know, food that just flows into cities on 18-wheelers and trains every day. If that stopped, we're in trouble immediately. It'll happen much faster than, say, a you know, collapsing civilization in uh, Mayas or, you know, the, the, any of those people. It'll be like the power went out and then the cities went completely ballistic. Mm. Very wow. fast. Wow. I, ho- I, hope, I hope I'm wrong because... There, number one, there won't be any, you know, credit, you know, down at the block. I told you all, you know, who cares? Who are you going to be telling? <laughs> Surviving neighbors? Yeah. Odds are we won't know what happened. The power goes out. We won't even know what really happened. It'll be everybody has a theory. Uh, and it'll be hell on earth for our children that we wouldn't want to put them through. That's right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to, like, uh, score points to sell a new book. I could care less. I'm writing for posterity only. I'm, I mean, I've already outlived my expiration date. I'm 60. I never thought I'd see this age. My new novel, which is, you know, about the very uh, uh, future existence of Western civilization and the European Christianity, you know, in the continent of Europe. Um, you know, the, the, you mentioned the whole the books, the Red Cliffs of Zerhun. It's an it's an allegory. Muslim pirates come in and kidnap 70 girls, take them away for for auction, for sale, or for ransom. What are you going to do about it? You're going to just say, well, we can't do anything about it? Well, then your civilization is done. You know, you're just saying we're living at the, at the, at the mercy of the next wave of invaders. 
I did, it, did you ever see the movie Apocalypto, the Mel Gibson movie? He's not in the movie. It's oh, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. When when the, the natives near the beginning of the movie, the peaceful natives, they all got those crazy lip things and ear mm-hmm. piercings. But when the crazy natives are living their life in their village and they see strangers looking like they've just survived a holocaust come streaming through the village, like running with terror in their eyes, <laughs> you know your world's about to change. <laughs> you know? It's like they're not just running because they're, you know, ultra marathoners. <laughs> Somebody chased them through here. But yeah, the, in the in the Red Cliffs of Zerhun, when you're at the Europe is so weak that they can just come in like they did 200, 300, 400, years ago. They can just come in and raid a village and carry the people away. There was a period when Europe was so weak for centuries, they couldn't do anything about it. They had no navy to go down to North Africa and you know conduct rescue missions. At right. best, they might be able to arrange a ransom for some nobles or something like that, but. The average ordinary, you know, kid that got taken was never seen again. They're just a slave forever. And it was not a kind slavery. It was a very brutal slavery. You know, like galley slave, you're chained in till you die. Or a sex slave, you know, you're raped to death. But, uh, I mean, you know, it's a, as a young kid. But, so yeah, that's, that's, my novel is about the future existence of Western civilization. Do I expect to be around at the end of it? No. I mean, these things are processes that take place over centuries. What I'm writing is a continuum of of something that's been going on, well, you know, Jesus 2,000 years ago, Muhammad 1,400 years ago, Battle of Tours, you know, more more than 1,000 years ago. Um, So this is a long, drawn-out process, and we're just occupying the stage this moment. So, you know, I'm Matt, believe me, Matt Bracken does not write these things so he can walk around saying, look at me, I was right. I don't want to be right. <laughs> I don't want you to be right either. Yeah. These are worst case scenarios. Be. Yeah, that's, my wife calls me Mr. Worst Case Scenario, gloom and doom. I don't want to be right. Okay. I don't want to bequeath this legacy to our children. But if we don't get our act together, something very important to remember about the, you know, this Muslim invasion that's been going on for 1,400 years. You know, Egypt used to be Christian, folks. Yeah. Turkey used to be Christian. They're not anymore. What happened? You know, did the did the Muslims just peacefully appeal to them? No. It was it was convert or die, or accept the second class status where we'll wear you down, and in a few generations, one of your offspring will just say the hell with it and convert. Might not be you. Might not be your grandchild. But somewhere down the line, your great grandchild is going to say the hell with being. You know, spat upon, taxed, raped, beaten, can't fight back. I'll just say the Shahada and join Team Islam. It works. And now we're, we've got this, the mark, cultural Marxists that have taken over in the 20th century. Lenin didn't work. Stalin didn't work. But Gramsci, the Frankfurt School, the Columbia School, you know, the Fabian Society, they worked. They took over at the institutional level to the point where they could open the city gates and bring the barbarians in. So now you've got these this incubus that's that's festering inside of every European city that's going to explode. I mean it's much worse than Tours, Lepanto or Gates of Vienna. It's much worse. This is very dire. We could see in our lifetimes and I'm 60 in our lifetimes we could see Notre Dame Cathedral become a mosque 
with a black flag on top. I believe that. In our lifetime. Yep. Yeah. That, if we don't start fighting back. And, and see, Matt, if we fight back, it, well, it, I'm, I, I'm embarrassed even to, to use that, uh, that, that preposition, if we fight back. If we fight back, there's going to be hell to pay across the board with the, with the liberal progressive media, with these, uh, limp-wristed, uh, progressive communist politicians, wherever. Well, this is a, this is a good, there's actually a, a beneficial unintended consequence of this alliance of convenience between the left and Islam. Now, the, the left thinks that they're very smart and that they're just using Islam, but actually it's the reverse. Islam, which has been around a lot longer than the left, really the, the left only goes back in the modern era to to uh, the Jacobins, uh, Illuminists, you know, the French Revolution. That's pretty new, 300 years, yeah. 250 years. Um, Islam's been succeeding at this for 1,400 years with very few setbacks, such as in Spain, very few setbacks. It's like a ratchet that only goes in one direction. But by the left tying themselves as an ally of Islam, when this thing finally blows up, they're both going to be seen as enemies. One is a direct Islamic enemy, and the other as the Quisling traitors, uh, Quisling being the Norwegian pro-Nazi that helped the Nazis invade his own country. Uh, the Norwegians hauled him out and shot him at the end of 1945 after the war. So in the, in the case of in my novel, because I like to speed things up in books, in my novel... Um, what triggers a reaction in France is uh, a truck bomb at the Louvre followed by uh, the Eiffel Tower being taken over by terrorists, tourists thrown off, and then the top half of the Eiffel Tower being blown up. That finally, at least in the novel, I don't know if it would really work. That might not even do it. It might just cause the French to surrender faster. (laughs) But in the novel... Blowing up the Louvre, a thousand years of Western art, and the Eiffel Tower causes the French to just say, that's it. We don't care Islam, Islamism, radical. You're the enemy. You've got to go. And they're pushed south out of France. And the the no-go zones, this is another beneficial unintended consequence. Since the Muslims don't like to integrate and they like to set up enclaves that are pure Islamic and then gradually enlarge the perimeter of that, well, that'll make them easier to corral and then destroy. In the French case, in my novel, they use artillery. You know, they're not talking them out with hostage negotiators. <laughs> they're, 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 when the Civil War breaks out, there's truck bombs coming out of the no-go zones, and the French military just says, that's it. You know, we're sorry, we're not negotiating. And so even if a quarter of the city looks like Stalingrad or, uh, or you know, uh, Lepanto or, or uh, Mosul, that's the price you pay for reestablishing European control. And, and I don't know if that would succeed. You know, mm. probably Islam works at this point. But it will definitely take a, a return to a, a very strong and warlike um, attitude in Europe. And it's possible. That reversion is certainly possible. The, the, the genes are still there. You know, they, they've been metrosexualized in from German shepherds into little poodles. Uh, but, the, but the German shepherd DNA is still in that poodle. You know, and his offspring can go right back to German shepherd. That's right. It, it, very quickly. It, it might take a little longer. 
uh little the, the bite a little stronger have to be but but yeah i i understand that Matt, we got but about four but if, not, but if not then europe is lost and yeah. that's why that's the allegory point of my novel exactly. they they come in they come into ireland on a converted fishing boat they snatch 70 girls out of a boarding school killing you know the rest they can't catch and take off what are you going to do about it the, there's no irish navy that can chase them and catch them Who's going to go get these girls? Nobody? If, because if the answer is nobody, then Europe has just surrendered. That's right. And that's the, that's the point of the, my novel, The Red Cliffs of Zerhun. A fantastic book, folks. We got about three uh, and a half minutes left, half minutes, uh, yeah. with you, Matt. I wanted to ask you about the, uh, one of the big controversies in the news for whatever reason, even though this has never been an issue in the history of our military, is the fact that this transgender ban that Trump wants to impose on the military and the media backlash parading these he-she's around that say, you know, uh, tell me to my face I'm not worthy. What's this going to do to the military morale? Well, it's a, allow this well this, is a, this is a cultural Marxist poison pill. You notice Obama didn't do this on his first day in office, just like he didn't close Guantanamo like he said he would. Um, he waited until the very end, just like his orders about intelligence sharing among all of the uh, different intelligence services. That was a way of ensuring maximum leaks and making it harder to, tra- to race leaks. You do these, he did these like right in his last months before leaving office. So he bequeathed a poison pill to Trump, which is this uh, asinine, insane, cultural Marxist sabotage of transgenders in the military. Not to mention, they have like a, you know, 40 times greater suicide rate than any other group of people. You know, they're troubled individuals by definition. You know, there are about 20 medical conditions like asthma that disqualify you from the military. You're going to join the military. You can't change your chromosomes. So you're going to either have it taken off or have it surgically remolded. You're still a dude. You're still a chick. You're just one that had a mutilation operation that's taking hormones. But you're basically not going to be, you're going to be out of commission. You're not, a, you know, back to full strength person either in either direction. So to me, it's complete sabotage. The yeah. benefit of it, the benefit of it is that as a, as a, um, campaign point. You know, they get their early licks in, so to speak, <laughs> with saying saying that, like, you know, look at these people, tell them to their face they can't serve. But the Alinsky mockery is going to work even better against them. And there aren't going to be a lot of Democrats that are going to want to go to the mats to, you know, to put uh, more Chelsea Mannings in uniform. Uh, you know, or these, you know, flamboyant, in-your-face, look, if you have a fe- these feelings of, of doubt and you can't keep them inside, then you shouldn't be in the military because there's a lot of things you got to keep inside, like fear, you know, like I'm really not a hero, but i got to pretend to be for the sake of all the guys in the foxhole. You can't have people getting up and bawling their eyes out. I don't feel like fighting today. You know, that's you have to be able to suppress your inner feelings. These guys are saying, I can't. I have to be me. Well, yeah, well, be me on your own time, not in the military. Okay. You the are militaries the for warriors. Uh, absolutely, and that's uh, Joe. I think that that was the best answer to that question I've heard, and, and I was watching that on the on the uh, uh, news on the monitor in my office. You know what's interesting is is just the um, the the psychology manual, the DSM five listed as a uh, you know this type of of gender dysphoria. Yeah. And you can't even get into the service if you have uh, other you know if you have asthma if you well, have all these said, other yeah. things, and it just the common sense and the rationale is just so far gone from these people and, and the points they're trying to argue. Uh, Mr. Brock, I don't know how they how make many, sense. How many fruitcakes like this do we got in the military? 
Seriously, enough well, to worry in about? The, in the general population, we're talking about like, you know, one-tenth of one percent, the full-blown transsexual. But to, to change the military around to accommodate them so that you're, they were literally putting out instructions to the female soldiers that you just have to get used to seeing male, male organs in the shower because they belong to a woman, huh? Oh. So that dude in the shower is really a woman. And please, if you look sideways at him or freak out, you're the one that's going to be in trouble. You know, this is, this is just a, a cultural sabotage. Dude look like that's a woman. That's all it is. Yeah. But the good thing is it'll backlash against the Democrats big time. Matt Bracken. Re- reality's reality. Amen to that. Thank you so very much, Matt Bracken. Thank you. Uh, your book is great. Thank you so much for writing it, folks. Matt awesome Bracken. interview, too. Yeah, and, and thanks for your time, uh, folks. Visit Matt Bracken, uh, his website, Enemies Foreign and Domestic. You get a copy of a signed book, too, uh, The Red Cliffs of Zerhoon. Fantastic. Highly recommend it. And, of course, all of his books. He is... He's an asset to not just this show, but to our country. God bless you, sir. Thank you. We'll be right back with Tim Alberino. Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. 
Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Staying by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Staying by Blood. Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Ladies and gentlemen, this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. It is Thursday, January. Uh, January. Yeah, I'm July. Uh, Might as well be January, right? May. Let's pick a month. Uh, it doesn't matter. Can it change in a few it's days? Ju- yeah, July 27th, 2017. Um, w- welcome. Welcome. Glad you could make it. It's great to uh, be with everyone. Joe, a uh, lot of news to get into with respect to... Uh, well, everything, <laughs> I guess. Well, there's a whole host of um, of news. Uh, you know, we're still looking at Trump banning uh, the transgender from the military and the media response to this. Yep. This is something we, we opened up with on the Hagman Daily Show today. Is the You see the media focus, especially on this, this transgender issue, completely ignoring the Iwan brother story and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, completely ignoring, you know, uh, they're talking a little bit about the leaks, but... Um, you know, just like the, uh, the news networks, like yesterday we talked about this or two days ago, how the news networks covered up the Wasserman Schultz IT staff of one brother's arrest, even though there's double billing involved, possible espionage, blackmail, or no, 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 officials. No, no but, possible, brother. You know, Go the on. only, only NBC ran a story online today and Fox News has been reporting on this, which leaves a lot, um, you know, for networks like CNN and MSNBC. I, I want to, I want to, I just want to, uh, not clarify, but I just want to make, make a clarification. I suppose same thing, a distinction without a difference. Uh, not even that. But when you said Fox News is reporting on it, Sean Hannity's reporting on it primarily. Okay. Yeah. Fox News, I think, is acquiescing to that. There's a big difference there. I, I addressed the One Brothers, the entire show, my show this morning at nine o'clock. I addressed the One Brothers, and by the way, I didn't touch any buttons, and it came out fabulous. And I want to thank Eric the Tech for that. But yeah. Um, Three shows, by the way, 9 to 10 Eastern, Doug, my show, and then uh, 2 to 3, John and Joe, or Joe and John, or JJ and... Yeah, it's been going good. I know your show's Bobo. been going good, our show's been going good. Yeah, yeah. I, the so change of pace and today. the daily schedule and, and, and the, you know, it is a, people might not understand some of the things that go on behind the scenes, but when oh, you're man. getting ready to do a, when you do another hour of, of content a day, it's not so much even the preparation if anything has changed as far as at least what I do on a daily basis to prepare information-wise for that show or this show, but just the process and, and getting it, uh, getting a routine down, getting a, you know, getting into a rhythm. It's a little bit of adjustment, but not complaining. Just wanted to put that out there. But the, uh, the shows have been going real well. Uh, still hope people will continue to, to provide feedback. That's been a little scarce, but it's, um, you know, the first week of the shows and we expected it to be just a little, yeah, it'll take a while to catch on we'll and for people to find side, it. Right? But no, they're going good. Uh, the Doug Hagman show, up. nine to ten, the Hagman Daily yeah. show, two to three. And uh, folks, if you do listen, 
send us some some feedback on what you think of the show. Yeah, I, I'm particularly interested in today's show and in, in mine. Uh, to, uh, the show I did today, I'm particularly interested in any feedback you might have, because W. Wasserman Schultz, according to the Gateway Pundit, um, uh, is a train wreck. Uh, yeah, barely able to function since the Imran Awan arrest. And is that because she's a, a Unhappy, you know, he, they were lovers or... No. So there's speculation of that. That's why I brought that up. I mean, no. what would put her in a state of mind where she couldn't function and become a wreck because this guy was finally arrested? I'm Is telling because you... because of what he knows? Yes, yes. It's because uh, it's because of what he knows, what she knows that he knows, and what she knows is at stake. The uh, Imran or Juan arrest is the first of many dominoes to fall, as I explained this morning. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Uh, it's only the beginning you know, you saw her with the chief of the Capitol Police, Verdosa, uh, uh, back uh, in May, May 18th or May 24th, when she threatened him. There will be consequences. There will be consequences. Let me tell you, she wasn't kidding. Uh, she wanted that laptop back. It's what it, it's information that's on the hard drives. It's on the laptop. Now, you said... Uh, right before the opening of the show, the Imran Awan's attorney. Oh, I, yeah. I, I about vomited <laughs> when I when I heard the statement. And, you know, when we talk about it, we talked about it. But the fact that uh, that he, you know he wants his client to get his life back. Well, and th- and this is crazy. Oh. I have the just the first sentence of the statement here. Uh, Imran Awan's attorney released a statement blames Islamophobia and ultra-right-wing media, also Pizzagate, yeah. for the treatment yeah. of his client, Awan. Yeah. Go figure. Well, he, uh, Islamophobia know, was started by the, the uh, uh, by Meeks, Gregory Meeks, the House of Representatives. That, that, that meme. You know, when you commit espionage and treason and, and you're blackmailing congressional officials and who cares what, what nationality you're from? It's treason. You should be hung on the, on the Capitol lawn. Um, whether you're white, black, Muslim, or Russian, it doesn't matter. And for them to turn around and use this victim card, it just speaks to the culture the media and the, the political uh, pundits have created through this, you know, political correct movement. Everybody's a victim, even when they're the, you know, the most ruthless criminal. And uh, I don't think that his statement's going to really... Um, the networks aren't even covering anyway, so... You know, who even knows about this if they're not doing the research for themselves and looking online and checking out different media sources. If you're just an average American watching the news every day, you're not even knowing this is going on. That's right. And these, if the news media is not even going to report on the story, they're definitely not going to report on the attorney's statement about why he believes that the his <laughs> client was arrested. This is just the beginning. I, I promise you this is just the beginning. And you know something, Joe? The, uh, here's the other issue. This is not just about Imran Awan. This is about his... Uh, really three brothers, not two, but three. So there's, there's four Awan brothers, uh, a good friend of the Awans, two wives of Im- Im- Imran Awan's wife and, uh, Abid Awan's wife. So there's six right there. And, uh, Imran's good friend. Now, Imran's wife is in Pakistan, just to let you know. So she, she did Pakistan. make her plane. He was the only no, one no, no. She she left in January. Oh, okay. I earlier this year. Together. I, I must have misread the article. No, she there. she's already in Pakistan with her two kids. And by the way, when Imran Awan goes to Pakistan, he is treated as a foreign dignitary would be treated. Given yeah, he has ISI protection. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And what Bin Laden had. There is, exactly, and there is, um, a, a direct connection between the Imran Awan and, and the ISI. And of course the, uh, Imran Awan had, had borrowed money from Dr. Ali Alatar, who is associated with Hezbollah. And again, I get into this, I'm not gonna repeat this, but I, I talked about this on, on the show today. And $100,000 there. And what they, but here's the thing, what, what they got Imran for was getting a mortgage on a house or an equity loan on a house that he didn't own, essentially. That's it, kind of the short, wasn't his primary residence, which is really kind of like getting uh, Capone on a, on, on a tax violation. Not quite what really is going on here. So that's just to grab him and keep him here while the investigation gets hot. But this is the first strike back against the, against the deep state by the Trump administration. I truly Maybe. believe this. Maybe. Ah, I, I believe it. Because when you start pulling at this, okay, you, you, you look at Trump didn't get this ball rolling, did he? This was the Capitol Police. This was a, Oh, I think, I think every, no, no, because the key, no, I, th- I really think that, that it is the Department of Justice and specifically the Trump's people said, okay, here's what we need to do. We have to play our cards a little bit differently here because of the, the swamp. We got, we got landmines everywhere, or in this case, alligators everywhere in the swamp. So we're going to, we're, here's how we're going we're to approach this. I believe that what we're seeing is a, is a truly a, um, a very measured approach in a very methodical approach, especially given the fact that uh, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz apparently needs more Xanax than is available on planet Earth. Um, and that's that's very important because I think that, that they're, they're going to sweat her out by doing what they're doing. They, they could have done a couple of things differently, but by doing it this way, I think they're sweating her out. And you watch, uh, I, well, I, well, no, I put mean, her on suicide watch. Somebody's going to end up dead if there really oh. is that much at stake. Oh, there's going to be more than one end up dead, I believe. I guarantee you. We should put odds on that. It will be a death pool. <laughs> yeah. Like at my doctor's office, right? Yeah, all right. Um, um, switching gears here real quick, I want to make sure we touch on this story. I mentioned this to you uh, earlier today in California. How many people remember G. Gordon Liddy from the Watergate? Incident, yeah, the infamous yeah. G. Gordon Liddy. Well, his son, to this. his son, Raymond Joseph Liddy, a 53-year-old, who is the deputy state attorney general for California, was arrested today for child pornography charges, according to media reports. FBI agents arrested the 53-year-old Raymond Liddy Tuesday at his home in Colorado, or Coronado, I'm sorry, for possession of child pornography, according to the San Diego Union Tribune. He pleaded not guilty to charges in San Diego federal court and was released to home detention with GPS monitoring on a $100,000 bond. California Attorney General Xavier uh, Beckera office said in a statement Wednesday that it was aware of the charges against Liddy and that there has been he has been placed on administrative leave. San Diego Internet Crimes Against Child uh, Children Task Force began investigating the case after receiving reports from Internet service providers that a user had uploaded 11 images that appeared to be child pornography. Investigators traced the uploads to Liddy's home in Coronado, um, and he was taken into custody. He admitted to the FBI that he downloaded sexual images using online services to share sexual fantasies, but he said most of the images were of adults. Uh, either way, he's in jail, and he is facing charges of child pornography, the son, again, of G. Gordon Liddy, who was himself convicted of burglary and conspiracy in the Watergate scandal. 
Yeah, and Liddy had, had uh, offered his life for Nixon. You talk about a, a, just a, you know, people tend to put G. Gordon Liddy up on a pedestal. He had his own radio show. As a matter of fact, I spoke to him. Uh, I had I'd sent him a fax back in, my goodness, it was in the 90s or something. And uh, he had... Uh, uh, it, it was just a very short telephone conversation, not on air as off air. But, uh, actually the reason, I'll tell you the reason why I spoke to him is because I was listening to his program when I was, when the videotape was running on a surveillance and it actually got entered into, uh, bizarrely, in a very bizarre fashion, got entered under the record of the court case that, <laughs> that I was testifying at. So I said, hey, you know, I took you to court and I explained the situation and, and he was, it was, it was just, it was just kind of a humorous little situation, but it, long story short, I spoke to him, but, but, but he, he said he, he offered his, uh, life. He, he said he'd stand on some street corner basically and, and, uh, uh, offer to be shot on behalf of Nixon if, if it came to that. How loyal of him. Yeah. Yeah. And his book will, uh, I, I, I think I had, it survived a couple of moves. His book, Will, was a fascinating read. I don't know how many people read that. That's going back a number of years. But, uh, wow. Haven't been able to verify this yet, but it's possible an FBI lawyer is being investigated for leaking classified information. And there's some interesting things going on at the White House. The Scaramucci uh, said on, on CNN today that he would be willing to, to fire everybody in the White House uh, communication staff and otherwise to get to the bottom of the leaks now, he uh, there's been some speculation that him and Rents Priebus have been going at it pretty good. Well, uh, Scaramucci today said on CNN, if Rents wants to explain he's not a leaker, let him do that. Uh, the White House continues to say that there's not really bad blood, but if you look at the history of this Scaramucci and his his hire, Rents Priebus is one of the people who fought his hire uh, from the get-go. But um, this leaking problem is not going away. And what's interesting is, the president and Sean Hannity and the Scaramucci were eating dinner yesterday, and Scaramucci says within seven minutes that information was leaked to the press. He talked to the person who uh, received the information. He wouldn't give up the source, and uh, it looks like the the White House is getting really sick of this. And also Jeff Sessions is wanting to get involved in finding out who these leakers are so he can prosecute them. Maybe Trump lit a fire under him with some of those tweets he sent out earlier this week. Maybe not. Maybe this was always part of the plan, but um, we will see these leaks are are very damaging to the administration, and that leaves there no trust really within those inner circles. Uh, no, which you don't get. You're not productive when when you have those issues like that. You can't be productive <laughs> if you're constantly, uh, you know, what you plan to do, what you're setting up to do, is being leaked before you're able to do it effectively. That's going to ruin any administration and make it as unproductive as possible. So this is one. I mean, this has been one of the biggest stories of the Trump administration: the the devastating amount of leaks. 125 and 126 days. Yeah, and they. Uh, I mean, it's about time these people were were cracked down on, or at least uh, taken away their access to that kind of information, probably by firing, or uh, at the very least, I'd say. And they're lucky if they don't get prosecuted at the worst. So. Well, yeah. Um, you. Well, I was going to say, you really can't get prosecuted for leaks, general leaks. For example, 
Someone had right. released, uh, I think it was, uh, Scaramucci's. It has to be classified information. It has to be privileged. It has to meet, um, certain guidelines, but yes. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be classified, but it's got to meet certain guidelines in order to qualify for, uh, criminal penalties. So, just, I'll just leave it at that. But we don't have to get too far down on those weeds. Um, but I, I'm, I, I want to go back to Debbie Wasserman Schultz again okay. because just very quickly, I, this, that's one area and I'm, I'm going to continue with this tomorrow on, on, on my show tomorrow. And folks, nine to ten, my show, John and Joe at two to three, live both, um, urge everyone to listen and provide feedback. Eric did a great job on, um, how to listen. Just go to HagmanReport.com, click on the link, how to listen and all three shows pop up. Eric, let me ask you this. Uh, somebody had said the shows are not on iTunes. My, my show isn't in particular. I've downloaded all four of ours from iTunes. Mine is? Really? What you do, folks, if you go to the... Okay. If you go to the Doug oh. Hagman show homepage on BTR, there's little icons on the right-hand side. you got an RSS feed icon, an iTunes icon, and a few others. If you click that iTunes icon, it will take you to your iTunes application and automatically start downloading the podcast. Uh, that's one way to do it. And yeah, Eric Stitcher, says you can go to Stitcher, uh, any, basically yeah. any podcast outlet. Uh, Eric says Stitcher is awesome. I oh, haven't personally cup, used it, but. Yeah, Sean Hannity is, is on Stitcher and. Yeah. Yeah, yeah feel free to mic up, man. That's, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, how many people saw this story. Uh, we talked about it a little bit yesterday on our show or two days ago. The Islamic Center of Davis has okay. come under fire after a two-hour sermon calls for the annihilation of all Jews by uh, Imam Amar Shahin. And uh, it's uh, a very underreported story, obviously not even being reported in the media, hardly anywhere. I heard a few people mention it. Michael Savage is one of those people. And he's what he's saying is right. You know, these um, when we see this news cycle and what dominates the news cycle from, you know, the... The, the hateful transgender ban, which, I mean, it's the best thing Trump could have done for the military, in my opinion. And I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but that's just what I think. You know, they're, they're so focused on every decision to, to, to go after every decision Trump makes and attack him and, and his position, no matter what that is, that I believe that they, they're doing that to fill time so they don't have to cover up these other stories, like the Iwan brother and Debbie Wasserman Schultz story, like the, uh, Islamic Center of Davis story where these people are calling, you know, for the annihilation of all Jews, yet nobody is speaking out against their calls for violence. Instead, you know, they turn around and say, oh, you don't like it, you're Islamophobic, and it's crazy what's going on. Um, but, you know, what do we expect from the media? They're not there to inform or educate or make things better for anybody. They're not even there to convey uh, information that's relevant or even in based in reality, they have really turned into the ministry of propaganda uh, to the ten, you know to the tenth power. But at the same time, the more that they continue to push in that direction, the less people are paying attention to them and listening to them. Other than you know the people who already have their minds made up about how they think, or for entertainment purposes, you know to laugh or uh, to to gauge or monitor. But these people, I mean, it, it's just getting crazy. Um, 
when when the tra- Trump banning transgenders from the military is the number one story with all these other things going on, all these other scandals, the Clinton Foundation and but, Criminal Network unraveling, but, the Iwan brothers, the Washington yeah. Souls, the Congressman blackmail, yeah. all these things are going on um, with the DNC. Just about you know when we talk about um, how the media reports things and the and the they, how they label things conspiracy theories. Uh, it's funny how so much of what they called conspiracy theories from the Clinton email and Podesta email dump have actually been proven to be true, yet you'll never hear that being covered in the mainstream media. And then, you know, to be silent when, when these Muslims call for, you know, the annihilation of all Jews or uh, or gays or, whatever, you know, Christians. In the U.K., there's um, three guys, three Muslim men, running around beating up white Christians until they were stopped and, and beat up themselves, from what I understand. Uh, and that's the UK the saying, oh no, go. we're not going to we're not going to charge this as a hate crime in in Paris and in other in the UK. There's you know four or five acid attacks a week where people are running around throwing acid in other people's faces. There was just a huge rash of those just last week and through the weekend over there in Europe. But you know you don't hear about any of this stuff. You only hear oh you have to be tolerant. You have to it's a religion of peace and blah 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 blah. It's getting to a point where I believe the news media is doing us a lot of favors. Us being in the alternative media. Of course, by driving people away. So in that regard, I wouldn't want them to stop doing what they're doing. But at the same time, they are so far from the reality of what the American people care about that I believe their approval rating is lower than Congress. And they're going to continue to spin out of control uh, downward. Not that they'll ever go off the air, not that they'll ever go bankrupt. With the funding they have, You know, I'm sure they're paid to do a lot of the content that they do, even by the government. But the less and less people uh, that are watching them, the better. And that means... Uh, things that could be a lot better for the alternative media that we might see that the transition here in the near future. Uh, it just seems like a lot of people are sick and tired of the the witch hunts. You know, we saw all these Obama scandals ignored from Fast and Furious to the IRS scandal to Benghazi. They protected him during these times. Now we have a president who's pretty much scandal-free, except for the scandals created in the media. And these people and these companies, that's all they can focus on is the speculative scandals in the media that the media is creating. And it doesn't matter what Trump does, they're going to continue to go after him constantly. But I believe that the more they do that, the more the people see uh, these media and political figures for who they really are. And sooner than later, if they haven't already gravitated to the alternative media, or at least to the Internet, to do some searches to, to find out more information, I believe the media is going to continue to push those people away from their own outlets, unless their minds are already made up. It's a good analysis. I think I think that you captured that pretty well. Um, you mentioned the transgender ban. Oh. I, I'm using air quotes. The yeah. chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said, "Not yet." Well, said, "I'm not going to do anything until you know, uh, the Donald Trump clarifies his tweets." Well, of course, I, I'm certain he's going to do that. But 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 to think that we've got yeah. a, a wussified or or a uh, um. I was so frustrated last night. Man, can you okay. believe that kind of crap? So, that, uh, I, I'd fire him too. Just on principle, yep. I would fire that son of, yep. that person. I'd fire yeah. him. <laughs> no, but really, uh, I had, I had some friends come up from Florida for some family stuff they had to take care of. And they came over last night and we got into, uh, they're involved in, you know, paying attention to politics. And we were talking about the snowflakes and he was going on and on about how crazy these people are. And then we got started talking about the media and CNN, and, and we uh, were saying, okay, before we turn on CNN, it was 1 o'clock in the morning, and I said, I'll turn on CNN. Are they going to be talking about Russia? What are they going to be talking about? So we turn on CNN, and it's a rebroadcast of Anderson Cooper. And the same he-she that was on the Drudge Report yesterday 
saying, you know, tell me to my face I'm not worthy to be in the military, was on Anderson Cooper. The guy had a, a, a Adam's apple, like a, a oh, juice yeah. box. Yeah. He had a, a chin like a linebacker, yeah. and he had this big wig on, and he had a deep voice, but he was trying to, to conceal it by uh, talking like a woman. And this was the lead story on CNN. Everything else that's going on, this is the lead story, how Trump is just this big hater. And, you know, we look at some of the numbers today. They're saying that it's 15 times more expensive for health care costs for, to, to take care of transgenders in the, in the military. And we're going to have Matt Bracken on after this break, and he's going to get into a little bit of the psychology that goes behind serving uh, with a group of people in combat. He's a former Navy SEAL, and uh, we're going to talk about this. But one thing the media left out is that this person didn't serve in the in the Navy SEALs on SEAL Team 6 as a transgender woman. He was a man the whole time during his service. He received a Purple right. Heart. Right. And, that, you know, I thank him for his service to this country. But when but, you turn around and become he, a woman after your service and get paraded on the news... Yes. Yeah. As some kind of victim or martyr, like you were this great soldier and you were always a woman inside, then they bring up the Caitlyn Jenner stuff, and it's just so ridiculous. It's so these people are really trying to destroy the moral fabric of this country, and they've done so for you know at least twenty percent of the population already. But they're not ready to quit. They're just doubling down. On I, I want to know how many transgenders can. there are in the world, and then how many there are, in, or in the United States, I should say, and then how many there are in the military. I, I want a number. That's why uh, I, I believe it. I'm going to go to Hagman Report, our website right now. I believe the show image for tonight is uh, from MASH, Corporal Klinger <laughs> from MASH. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. Um, and if you guys remember MASH, and I, I used to watch it when I was young. I, I love that show. Uh, Klinger used to dress up as a woman. Just for the purpose of trying to get discharged from from the 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 war, and it was a big joke. You know, he was never uh, they never portrayed him as as, as homosexual, or, or he would just dress up as a woman to try to appear to be crazy, right? To get a discharge, a, a mental discharge from the military. So what has happened in the thirty five forty years from that show till today, where you see the complete change from the establishment? I mean, all the Nancy Pelosi's outrage that Trump wants to ban transgender from the military. And the media just continues to report on these people who are, uh, you know, who are outraged, ex-soldiers who have turned, you know, into women or whatever. But they don't actually, you know, show the reports of the real people who, uh, there's even reports out there now of people who were a soldier turned into a woman and then are, are now talking about how much that destroyed their life. And, I mean, there's so much that goes into this that we're right up Good against choice. the break. We don't have time to get into it. But the, the image for today's show is Corporal Klinger. And it just shows you how far the mentality of this country has come. Even in the psychology, uh, the DSM-5, they list some type of gender uh, dysmorphia. It's a list that is a mental disorder. You can't even get in the military if you have ADHD. But they're going to let the, the people with these mental disorders in? It's crazy. We're going to get Matt Bracken's opinion on this on the other side. Folks, you're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. Don't go anywhere. Former Navy SEAL Matt Bracken will be our guest from 7.30 to 9, and then we will be joined by Tim Alberino from 9 to 10, so it's going to be a great show. We'll be right back. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back.
In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews only states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniban Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniban Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. of the Hagman and the Hagman Report. We have a guest for you, returning guest, Matt Bracken. You know him, Matt Bracken, a fantastic writer. Folks, check this out. Check this out. His brand new book. Brand new book. And I've got it. We've got it. The Red Cliffs of Zerhun. What a tremendous book. This, um, uh, what a timely book, too. Did you get a, did you see this? The Red Cliffs of Zerhun. Um, I want to read the back. I'm going to read the back of the book because that really got me. It, it, Matt Bracken is probably one of the best writers I know. Some, uh, in the back, some men will travel a thousand miles to kidnap our children for sex slavery. Some men will go much farther and risk everything to bring them all home. Now, if that doesn't 
get you. I mean, if that doesn't say everything, this is a novel about slavery and the high price of freedom. Freedom is not free. And it's about damn time that the Christian, conservative, limp-wristed, spineless, gutless wonders in America realize that. And it's about time that we stand up and do something about it, because Matt Bracken is going to kick your butt from here to you know where. It's never been free. Freedom has never been free. I mean, just look at the battles that are going on now. Uh, you know, freedom is under attack. The Constitution's under attack. And not only that, freedom all across the world, even in places where freedom was once, um, you know, a, a way of life. Yes. You know, we see the destruction and, and how things can change in, in just a moment's notice. Well, let's bring our guest on. Matt Bracken, thanks for joining us, my friend. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you came back, man. You know, I'll tell you, some people say, come back. Are you kidding me? No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking around, but, but, uh, my friend, yeah, did yourself the Red Cliffs of Zerhoon. Uh, I, I, I thank you so much for, for, for this book. I've been keeping it away from Joe. I've been hogging this book. It's a, a fantastic read. And as you, as you point out, the entire, uh, the entire novel is an allegory and it's about really kind of the, the decisions we have to make, I believe. Um, you, let's talk about it, um, if you don't mind. Let's start talking about this book, and then we'll, we're going to get into some other areas as well. But let's talk about your book and and how this was birthed. Well, it's it's sort of an, an historical echo. Um, all of m- most of the main characters' names in the book. It's not really a plot spoiler, but they're from history. All of these things and wilder things that are described in the book actually happened in the 1600s and 1700s. And, uh, you know, we just tend to forget about it. You know, the freedom isn't free, but the problem is when a society is very affluent for a couple of generations, the normalcy bias kicks in and almost everybody comes to believe that affluence and what they perceive of as freedom are just a birthright or just a natural state of man. You know, like running water, uh, air is free, water runs out of the tap. They don't think at all, you know, somebody had to build this water system, and if it ever collapsed, we'd be really in a bad way. Nobody thinks of that. They just think that affluence and freedom are a state of, a state of being, a natural state of being. But there was a time, uh, 200 years ago to 500 years ago, when it was so dangerous to travel from England to the Mediterranean, uh, you know, that a, a, about a quarter of ships were captured and people taken away to slavery. And in fact, um, major land raids were undertaken, thousands at a time in Italy and in, and in Spain, and even going as far afield as Iceland, if you can imagine, Iceland. How would, how would Moors from North Africa know to go to Iceland to kidnap 400 Christians in one fell swoop? Because they had traitor captains. You know, there are, there are former Christians, traitors, who are willing to convert to Islam for the benefits, the evil benefits that that religion provides. Namely, if you catch Christian slaves, you can use them as sex slaves, as labor slaves, or kill them, whatever, it's up to you. Um, So I don't think that people really have been taught this at all. The narrative for at least the last generation has been that Slavery must be something that was invented by evil white Europeans. Uh, and in fact, it was the white Europeans who abolished slavery. You know, it was, a, it was slavery has always been around as far as the Babylonians, as far back as we can go. Slavery has existed when the, 
when Columbus got to the New World, all of the Indians had slaves. But it was Christians like William Wilberforce, a Brit, who abolished slavery. That seems to have been just erased from our history because the, the you know, currently cultural Marxist history is that evil colonial Europeans have done everything terrible and horrible in the entire world. But in, in fact, along with everybody else, Europeans inherited slavery, but it was Christians, specifically English Christians, who led the fight to abolish it. And it was Christians in America who then abolished it here as well. You know, it wasn't even abolished in, in uh, the Middle East until the colonization happened. For example, there were still slave markets you know, in Morocco in the 20th century until the French got there and stamped it out. They had slave markets in Saudi Arabia uh, until the late 1960s. And many would say slavery still exists in Saudi Arabia. It's just sub rosa. You know, they take the, the laborer, poor nurse or maid comes from the Philippines. They take her passport away and they make her a debt and bondage slavery where she's essentially locked in the house. If she ever gets back to the Philippines, it's strictly because she was lucky and fortunate in her her owners, you know, her indentured servitude owners, let her out of the contract and let her get out of the country. So yeah, the, slavery's always been a part of Islam, and people don't think about this, but when Europe is weak, these facets of Islam will always reemerge. And right now, Europe is extremely weak. In fact, it's probably more threatened now than it's ever been, because when you think about it, um, the, the major times in history when when Islam uh, threatened to just overrun all of Europe at the Battle of Tours in the, in the early Middle Ages, uh, the Battle of Lepanto, which was a naval battle, battle with a, you know invasion force behind it uh, in the Mediterranean, and then at the gates of Vienna in the 1600s, if those battles had gone the other way, all of Europe would have been Islamified by the sword. And now they've actually got beachheads in every city. So much worse than, say, when an army is approaching Vienna. Now every capital in Europe, every city in Europe, has a, has a Muslim jihad beachhead that I liken to the, uh, you know, the creature in the movie Alien that's burrowed inside of the spaceman when he goes down on the planet. And at the crisis moment, that alien is going to erupt right out of that guy's chest. That's, in, that's the Islamic jihad beachhead in every every European city and, and to a lesser extent in the United States as well. You know, you mentioned something that's really important that's that's uh, always going to be relevant, and that is the the, the re- way history has been reshaped, remolded, and, and changed. And uh, a good example of this that we haven't talked about on this show yet is the movie Dunkirk. I've been seeing a lot of reading reviews and hearing different people talk about it, that, where the you know, they left out, uh, you know, France's role in this. There was an article about that Monday in, in, uh, in Dunkirk. And then they, you know, they didn't label, they, they wouldn't say Nazi in the movie. They didn't label the enemies. And that's just one little example of that. But even to what you're talking about with slavery, the, there, there's just huge misconceptions. And this is because the media is trying to change history. And, and uh, just a few off the top of my head. One is that the, uh, you know, the Democrats were the, was the party uh, uh, to free the slaves, even though not one Democrat voted to free the slaves, and they were the party of the KKK, not the Republicans. But if you ask, you know, ten people today, you're going to get, you know, nine people that say it was the Republicans who, uh, not to make this a political party issue, right. but just to speak but, yeah, to the mentality. Dinesh D'Souza has an excellent movie um, 
that came out about a year ago about that exact subject. Exactly. We, we talked to Linsky and the Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific movie. Yeah. We, uh, we had them on and, um, um, help me out with it. I'm name drawing a blank book. there. I don't remember that. Oh, the name of the documentary. Uh, um, I can't, I'm drawing a blank as well. Hillary's America. Was, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Or, the, but or, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. The, but yeah, the, the the shaping of of history is very important, and I, and even to go to the movie Dunkirk, I haven't seen the movie, and I don't intend to, because some of my friends went and considered walking out. That was so lame. I mean, this is a movie where the essence of the situation is that there are three hundred thousand Brits on the beach, you know, that might have been strafed and bombed into oblivion, and none of the scenes show more than a couple hundred soldiers, which is almost you know you could even if you had to use CG. Uh, there's, you know, you need some huge up and down the beach scenes, and there are none. There are no pictures of swastikas or, you know, German. Nobody even knows who's attacking these people. You know? Right. So they the didn't even identify them by name. Them. They just say the enemy. Right. The enemy. Right. And the, and you know that this is an important factor because real, right now, and this is an Alex Jones tagline, but you know there is a, it's an information war. It's a war for our minds for sure. Um, and I'll give you an example. Something else I want to talk about tonight, which is which is the uh, the the entire civil war right now. It's fought at a, being fought at a covert level, but we're we're seeing where it emerges in the media as the part of the shaped narrative, which is the, the war between the deep state and and Trump. Uh, you know the 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 whole situation with Fusion GPS, the Russian dossier. This was all about creating a narrative. Uh, the, the Trump, the Trump people before the uh, election really were naive and they were amateurs and they were up against some real sharp characters. This fusion GPS, this is, you know, ex-intelligence operatives that study human nature. They do psychological analysis of everybody they're up against. They do, econ- you know, financial analysis. They probe for blackmail points for weaknesses. So that the entire point of the meeting with, uh, Donald Jr. and and uh, uh, Manafort and and uh, uh, the other son-in-law. Uh, the whole point of the meeting was just to have the meeting. They could have they could have you know showed a slideshow of somebody's vacation. It doesn't matter. Once the meeting happened, uh, Natalia V, the Russian spy, she gets her bonus immediately. That was a victory. High fives. You got the meeting. These dumb suckers don't even know that they've just been had. They just handed us ammunition to be used down the road. It doesn't matter what was said or wasn't said in the meeting. The fact of the meeting is all that mattered. And I'll, I'll, I'll take it forward, because um, apparently the dossier was originally commissioned as opposition research by Republicans, Jeb Bush, McCain, etc., against Trump. And when Trump actually won, it was converted into an anti-Trump uh, weapon. And the first time that it became publicly known or widely known, it was very little reported in, like, the David Korn of the Nation, a few people that were in, the, in 2016, a little bit about it. But when it really exploded on the scene was after uh, the January 6th meeting. The first time that Trump met Comey in private was in January 6th when he was president-elect, and Comey wanted to talk about the dirty dossier, the golden shower dossier. Why? It was bogus. I'm sure Comey knew it was bogus. Was he trying to intimidate Trump? Was he trying to blackmail Trump with false statements? Not at all. 
all he was doing was getting a meeting with the with the president elect where this dossier would be discussed then the fact of the meeting just like more currently the fact of the meeting uh about you know with uh, Trump Jr and the uh Natalia V the fact of the meeting then becomes the weapon so Comey leaves the meeting it's leaked to the New York Times I'm sure the by the same Columbia professor so in the New York Times headlines president has meeting with FBI director to discuss scandalous Russian dossier that's all that mattered it could have been blank pages it could have been you know uh, cut and paste from uh, online websites it doesn't matter the fact of the meeting is all that mattered then you you go to february 14th trump is still just an amateur at this he's a pro businessman he's an amateur at this kind of political chicanery february 14th trump has a meeting with comey he asks comey to stay after a cabinet meeting or a meeting of principals why wouldn't he think it was natural the first time he met comey in private was at comey's request comey uh, trump's not a professional politician he doesn't know what's protocol what's taboo so he has a meeting with with comey where the name flynn comes up and apparently you know i hope that nothing bad happens to flynn he's a good guy it doesn't matter what exactly was said in the meeting the fact that the meeting occurred and comey then you know made memoranda for the record that's the ammunition that's the bullet because it doesn't matter what's said it's it's when that card can be played it's like a poker game now i've got an ace up my sleeve when trump goes to fire comey that's when that card is played it's all about shaping the narrative for public consumption it's a big poker game and even the the people in the poker game are maybe seeing you know uh two or three up cards and the rest of the deck is face down i i can guarantee you as lay persons and even interested and knowledgeable lay persons we're not even seeing the cards that they see we're maybe seeing one card per hand and the whole narrative is being spun out of that he's got a joker he's got an ace that's just what we're meant to to see but at its essence this is all about shaping the narrative and that's why we're in the in the really in the middle of a of a uh of a covert civil war right now and the the battlefield is information the battlefield is the cable news talk radio and shaping public opinion and this is why um i think that trump is making a lot of terrible decisions but i you know, i think bringing in scaramucci is essentially just bringing in somebody that's going to verbally battle much faster inside of the uh the uh, the oodle loop the uh, observe orient the side act somebody who can other than trump with with twitter who can go straight to cnn straight to msnbc and fire back immediately in the same news cycle uh how effective that will be it remains to be seen but um you know we are seeing a, we are seeing a non-shooting civil war and i'm convinced it's because the principles involved in this coup which i would say are more and comey are the leaders of it uh rosenstein and mccabe certainly are at at uh high level also of this trap some of these people are risking prison time for real and seriously if they don't take trump out so they're going for broke with their own coup which is mainly a false narrative coup 
false narrative of of a, of a Russian meeting uh, with Trump Jr. that meant nothing, but it's a media ammunition point. Uh, the meetings between Comey and Trump, they don't they had no meaning other than how they can be spun and used as a weapon in the media. But these guys like Comey, if there's a prosecutor as zealous as Mueller but going the other way, folks like Comey are are facing spending the rest of their lives in prison because they've been essentially um, been taking huge bribes, you know, million dollar bribes for the last 20 years, I would say for sure Lynch and Comey. Absolutely, they they have a revolving door, a rotating door between working as as uh, at uh, Hillary's law firm for a million dollar a year, whether you ever in court, kind of basically a no show payola job. Uh, Comey working for Lockheed when they have business before Hillary, huge jet contracts. Um, Comey working at HSBC Bank when when they're uh, uh, being charged with massive corruption, laundering drug cartel yep. money. Lynch is the attorney general. They work together to make sure that nothing happens to HSBC. And Comey gets, you know, paid five or six million dollars a year for essentially a no-show job, put his stamp, sign some papers. So this is the kind of mega corruption that we're involved with. They, they, they rotate between these corporate payola gigs and then, uh, attorney, uh, uh state's attorney and district attorney, uh, federal attorney jo- jobs. And then ultimately you get Comey into the FBI. This is the, this is the, this is the fox being given the job of sheriff in the hen house. And the media spins these guys like Mueller and Comey as, as straight arrows, mm-hmm. above reproach. They're the most corrupt and devious swamp dwellers imaginable. Uh, Mueller worked for both of them for since the 90s. So did Rosenstein. The, I guarantee you, these cats, McCabe, Rosenstein, Mueller, Comey, there's a, there's sort of a um, corruption corollary to mutual assured destruction. These guys all know where they've all helped each other bury bodies. Put it that way. You say a friend will, you know, a friend will help you bury the body. Well, these guys have all helped each other bury the scandals. They all know that they can take each other out. If one of them goes down in flames, he's got enough information to make sure that the other three go down in flames with him. This guarantees cooperation. So when Rosenstein gets the, uh, you know, the per- private meeting that says, you're going to name Mueller to be the special counsel, Rosenstein's got no choice because these guys have got each other blackmailed, mutually blackmailed, nine ways from Sunday, going back 25 years. And there's no way he can't name Mueller to be special counsel. Same thing with McCabe. McCabe's wife takes between seven hundred and eight hundred thousand dollars to run for a state office where nobody ever spent more than a hundred thousand. She gets the money from the bag man McAuliffe, governor of Virginia, and never discloses it. That's the acting FBI director, McCabe. He's helping Comey while while Comey is at FBI and after he's helping to spread the golden shower dirty dossier. These guys are filthy up to their necks, and they can all take each other down. And that's why they're going all out to take out Trump, because if Trump gets his own Mueller to look into their past sins, unlike Trump, Trump can be run out of office. He can be impeached. Remember, impeachment's not a criminal proceeding. Impeachment is political. They can impeach the president any time they want. There's no crime involved. But what Comey is involved in is criminal. 
Comey and Lynch are involved in criminal activities that could result in them being buried under the federal penitentiary. They cannot allow this to happen, and that is why they are going to they are holding nothing back to take out Trump using lies and a false narrative, but so far it seems to be working, and Trump's not being very effective at countering it. Man, what you just said, all I can say is what he said. Uh, Fantastic. Let me ask you a question, if I may, with respect to the players here. You've got, um, just a couple of days ago, you had uh, former CIA director John Brennan and uh, DNI Clapper. The Muslim uh yeah the muslim uh basically saying that i mean a communist muslim thank you yes basically saying that uh uh they're calling for a coup if president donald trump fires mueller which i think he should but that said um are mueller and my question to you is the position mueller and brennan may be playing at the moment might be playing at the moment if any if if Mueller gets fired, see, this is like goading Trump into firing Comey in the first place. This is dropping the trap. At this level, these people do such in-depth psychological analysis. They know what buttons to push. For one guy, it's greed. For one guy, it's lust. For one guy, it's attack his family. He'll just go off. You know, the red comes down. He's no longer rational. So at this at this level, these intelligence operatives... They hire psychologists. They hire little teams like uh, opposition research psychologists. So they know what words to use to trigger the, re- the, re- the desired reaction. And for when when Comey um, was when Comey was fired by Trump, this was a, a setting of a trap. This directly led to Rosenstein naming Mueller. Rosenstein had no choice. They've all got mutual blackmail on each other. Rosenstein had to name Mueller, the one man who's Comey's best friend. It's so this the the conflict of interest is so enormous it's just it's just staggering. Where Brennan comes into it, you know, Brennan has been essentially, as far as I'm concerned, a constitutional traitor for decades. This is the, the one of the greatest evil legacies of Obama, and even going back to the first Clinton uh, administrations, they brought in these Alinskyites. They have allowed them to embed themselves, and they get a status of being a, a just a, 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 a straight-shooter federal employee. When these guys are Alinsky communists from go, uh, you know, for example, Brennan, how could he have ever risen through the ranks of the CIA when he voted communist in college? Not, not when he was 14, it's in college. In, colleges, I, in college, I was in ROTC. I was, you know, ready to become a naval officer. I knew what communism was about. This was the Cold War. When he voted communist for Gus Hall, American Communist Party, the Soviets were killing people. You know, they were jabbing people with uh, poison umbrellas. They were setting assassins to kill the You know, they had people in psychiatric institutions where they inject them with things that cause immense pain and destroy the brain. So, I mean, they were extremely evil in the 1980s when Clapper voted, or Brennan voted, uh, voted for Gus Hall. Then, in, then he goes to Saudi Arabia. There are very credible allegations from eyewitnesses seeing him praying. You know, he certainly speaks as an is- Islamophile. We all know about Takia, holy deception. So somebody who's going to rise through the high ranks as a traitor is not going to say, oh, by the way, I actually converted to Islam 15 years ago. 
when I was a station chief in Saudi Arabia. So when, when you have traitors, anti-American, anti-constitutional, globalist, communist, Islamist traitors who worm their way into the highest echelons, you know, they are not going to go quietly. You know, Clapper is somewhat more of an enigma. I think that Clapper uh, will tend to go which way the wind is blowing. Clapper is one of these guys that will jump on board, uh, you know, whichever attack seems to be the one that's going to take the fort at the end. He'll make sure he's in that group. But Brennan and Brennan and Comey and Lynch, I think that they face, uh, you know, some serious charges. Uh, you know, if, if Trump was able to drain the swamp and get, you know, Giuliani and folks like that on them, they could all go to prison. Folks, we're talking with uh, former U.S. Navy SEAL Matt Bracken, enemiesforeignanddomestic.com. He's got a new book, The Red Cliffs of Zeron. I hope I said that right. And uh, Zarhoon, a, a novel about slavery and the high price of freedom. He's going to be with us through the next hour. We're going to continue to uh, talk about what we're talking about right now, and we're going to go into a number of different directions with Matt Bracken when we come back. Folks, you're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this network break. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. But what Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right. You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water. But a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an ammo can. 
For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. To this edition of the Hagman the Hagman Report, Tim Elberino, you know, he's one of the most fascinating men I know. Tim Elberino, he's a great guy. Um, he, he's an awesome uh, researcher. You know, I, I, I like I like Tim Elberino a lot, and um, he's with us. He's going to spend the next hour with us. We're going to be talking about a number of different things. You're going to want to. You're going to want to really. Put the computer on record now, or make sure you download this segment. Before we get to Tim Elberino, ready-made resources. Bob Griswold, what a guy. Okay, folks, anything and everything you need for preps. You heard Matt Bracken the last 90 minutes talking about potential for unrest. It made me uneasy. How about you? Did it make you feel a little bit uneasy? Let me tell you something. Ready-made resources. They have got the top top of the line, top quality product, and this is what what the Hagman Report looks for. This is a one-stop shop for everything you need. Now, I'm going to direct your attention to the Hagman Special, which is under the Outdoor and Tactical, and then you go to Communications and Optics, I believe. Okay. Um, and there you'll find the ham radio package. Now, you're going to need communications. That's a great option. Because as Matt Bracken said, the lights go out. How do you know? Who turned out the lights? Well, if, depending on the cause, you'll be able to communicate ham radio. Very, very reliable. Uh, check that out, as well as all of their products. But any questions whatsoever, you call Bob Griswold, 800-627-3809. 800-627-3809, or something good at readymaderesources.com. But make sure you mention Hagman. Make sure you, you, you tell them that you heard about ready-made resources on the Hagman Report, because... Every time you do that, he sends us 20 bucks and, uh, we're saving for a Maserati. I'm kidding, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Help us out. Help us out. Now, uh, Tim Alberino. By the way, folks, the Branson, Missouri conference. 
Steve Quayle called me the other day. He said, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of re- reenact the phone call. Hey, Doug. This is like, you know, 6.30 my time, okay? I'm in the office, and it's, so it's 4.30 his time. You're going to the, you're going to the conference, you know that, right? I said, oh, Steve, I, I, I yeah, uh, you're, you're going to go to the conference. I said, okay, I'd love to. I mean, I'll buy the ticket. You're coming to the conference. You're just going to come and, and you're going to watch it and, and meet, you know, uh, uh, Tim Albrino and, and it was, it was funny. It was funny. I, I can't, I cannot reenact it, but it was funny. I can't wait. I can't wait to meet all the people there. Tim Albrino, what's, what's the latest with the conference? And welcome, by the way, to the Hagman Report. Well, we're excited to see you guys at, at the conference. Um, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be really exciting. I mean, this is going to be some, this is going to be information that, uh, we've not released before. I know Steve's preparing something that he has never talked about before in 20 years of being on talk radio. Um, I've been here watching him prepare it. I know for a fact Anselm P. Rambla has been preparing, uh, for about the same amount of time, for 20 years, uh, the talk that he's getting ready to do at the conference. And what I mean by that is, uh, he's completed research over the years, over the decades, and has held some of it back. He purposely has not presented it for all these years. He, the guy's been traveling all around the world. Anselm P. Realms is a Spanish explorer and uh, world-renowned Spanish explorer. And he has a explorer's society called Boic Rus. He sailed all over the earth on his boat uh, with his team, which include very... Uh, highly skilled academic professionals, scientific professionals from from various uh, disciplines in the scientific community. And they've done excavations. They've done explorations. They've gone deep in the Amazon. He's been on uh, – he's, he's spent a lot of time in Tibet uh, with the Tibetan monks. I mean, these guys have been everywhere. And Anselm has gathered a particular kind of information that he, again, has been holding close to his chest, and he – he made it clear to me and Steve in, in Cusco, we were recently in Cusco, all of us together, that this is going to be the event that he finally releases this information. So, And I can tell you that I also have some things that I've been preparing that I've never said before. And uh, something that's really been, something that's hit my spirit very intensely over the last few months, I'm going to be presenting. And obviously, uh, we have... Uh, besides myself and Steve Quayle and Anselm P. Ramla, we have Tom Horn, L.A. Marsuli, Michael Lake, Derek Gilbert, David Langford, and Henry Groover. And so this is, uh, I don't know that we'll ever be able to, to, to get all of these guys back together. I know that, uh, Steve and Tom are not, are not, uh, they're not conference people. They don't, they, they're, they're winding down in terms of Tom, in terms of his desire to do conferences. And Steve has never been a conference person. So to get both of these guys in the same conference and then Ansel, Ansel P. Rambla and, uh, Henry Groover and these other guys is, it, it really is very unique. And I'm not, uh, I'm not just engaging in hype and hyperbole here. This is very, very unique. And we're extremely excited about it. It's the, the conference is actually almost sold out. We have, Less than a hundred seats left in the actual venue, which is, it's at the mansion, uh, in Branson, Missouri from the 15th to the 17th of September. But for those who can't make it or who don't get tickets in time, we're also, we are also, um, 
doing live streaming. Live streaming is now available. Uh, you can stream the entire event. You can go to gen6conferences.com to sign up for the live streaming. But, yeah, we are um, really looking forward to this. And, uh, again, I've been watching Steve put his presentation together. I've been in constant conversation with Anselm P. Ramla, and I've been putting my presentation together. And we're going to blow the lid off a couple of very important topics at this conference. Well, it's a, a fantastic lineup of, of people. Well, can you sneak us a hint at your topic? Well, I know Steve's going to be dealing with one of what I consider to be one of the most, two of the most interesting subjects, one pertaining to the, the Egyptian incursion into the United, into the United States. Um, but then he's also going to be dealing with what I consider to be probably the most fascinating topic, something that David Flynn covered uh, in his book, Cydonia, which is this idea of this planet Rahab that exploded, that was destroyed, the, the judgment of God in the pre-Adamic age. Absolutely fascinating topic. And again, uh, Steve is preparing, he's preparing that talk. Anselm P. Rambla is going to be uh, dealing with some information concerning um, concerning some some of the alignments and some of the astral alignments and some of the astounding um, intelligent design of the megaliths in South America. And he's going. It's his his talk is basically on the mystery of the Andes, and it's it, it will blow your mind when this guy. And we've seen. I mean, we got a sneak pre, uh, preview of this thing in, in Cusco, and. It's it's absolutely mind blowing what he's going to present, and then what I'm going to be talking about is I'm going to be dealing with um, the the reemergence, the resurgence of the empire of the gods that existed in the in the antediluvian age, and uh, dealing with uh, some questions involving human genetics, and basically a possible extinction scenario that is. Uh, that's beginning to burgeon on the horizon for the human race that that very few people have actually considered. So I can I can speak for the three of us because we've been communicating. I'm not sure what I think Tom Horn is going to be presenting some some uh, some information uh, on cannibalism as it relates to uh, DNA and and all kinds of inter interesting stuff. I I talked to Tom a few months ago and and uh, I know Ellie Marsuli has been in. In Portugal, he went to Fat, Fatima, and I don't know if that's what he's going to be talking about, but I know that that he was in Portugal a while back, and uh, actually recently. And as far as the other speakers go, I'm I'm not sure, but I tell you what, I can't wait to hear uh, some of these guys talk at this conference, especially Stephen Anselm. So, you know, in our experience, uh, we have been to a number of conferences, and when you hear uh, these people who come on our show or other shows. And they, they talk and give their presentations. It's always fascinating. But one thing I've learned from experience is that when you see them talk in person and give their presentations in person, it's like a hundred times more powerful. And it is, whether you're watching it on, on a live stream or, or you're there watching it live, uh, it is amazing, um, you know, how these people are able to, to, I don't know what you'd even call it, you know, step up their, their game or, you know, just the amount of time that they put into preparing. Whatever it is, there's something really special. And especially when you get a group of people like this together, uh, it's going to be a fascinating event, no doubt about it. Well, we believe that we are, that this is the timing of this, of this conference, um, is providential. We believe that we're in a very important time, a period of time 
in terms of the historical narrative, in terms of the in terms of the historical timeline of the human race, um, for many reasons, we have um, there are things that are happening on the earth right now that are going to lead to some very terrifying, inevitable situations. And again, some of these situations are things that most people have not even thought about. And uh, the the some of the things that are going on on the earth right now and under the earth are accelerating at such a rapid pace that even a lot of the end times expositors, the the guys that spend their lives studying the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, and so forth, excuse me, the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, and so forth, have overlooked um, because they they haven't been paying attention to some of the other questions that are extremely important to the conversation of what is going to happen at the end of the age and how is it going to unfold. I mean, you have to... You have to familiarize your, yourself, just for an example, with ufology. If you're going to, if you're going to be able to put an accurate picture together of where things are headed. Um, but not only that, I think you also have to familiarize yourself with genetics. You have to familiarize yourself with, uh, with the, the super soldier projects and things like that that are going on behind the scenes. And when you put all of these things together, you get an, an, an astonishing paradigm of the end times, of the end of the age, that is uh, vivid, that is frightening, but at the end of it all is, uh, is an, an unimaginable uh, uh, bliss and hope for the human race. But So th- these things are all coming together, and um, at, surely at this conference uh, we, we will be dealing with things that uh, we have never talked about before. So... Well, let's get into uh, some things here that are happening in the in the world of news that are that's actually coming out in the news and being reported. One of these, uh, you know, we see in China, they've been recently editing genes in dogs and other animals to make them more muscular. But there was a, an interesting story about scientists being able to build DNA from scratch, and I'll have to find this story. Uh, what are the implications of them being able to do this? Are we looking at you know what the Bible said in the days of Noah—that these are these scientists, these these evil workers are are creating, are going to be creating. You know what you've talked about—the super soldiers and and uh, just about anything under their imagination—is that what we're looking at with this ability to just manufacture DNA out of thin air? Well, what what we're looking at is the convergence of several technologies that are going to develop exponentially over the next decade, a couple of decades for sure, definitely within the next 30 years, there will, there will be a dynamic paradigm shift for the human race on several technological fronts. And they're all happening at the same time. They're, they're, these things are moving forward concurrently. The construction of, of artificial DNA, I know that uh, Craig Venter has been working on this for some time, creating artificial life forms uh, using synthetic DNA. And they're making headway. And uh, the, of course, uh, we're also making a lot of headway. And when I say we, I mean the human race is beginning to develop what's called nanotechnology, nanobots, that in the next couple of decades, nanotechnology, and Ray Kurzweil believes that would, would project a much shorter, um, would have a much shorter um, due date for the, for the introduction of nanotechnology into the marketplace um, than a few decades, he would probably say within a decade we'll have nanobots 
nano nano machines that will be going inside of our bodies and gradually technology the technology that we hold in our hands is going inside of our bodies this is the this is the development of biotechnology it covers uh, the nanobots it covers the it covers the uh, um, the genetic technologies the genomic technologies that are being developed including the artificial life forms including artificial intelligence all of these things are converging they're all they're they're all being developed and are moving they're progressing exponentially and they're going to converge in the future uh and some people call that uh, uh some people call that the singularity when when these technologies are sufficiently developed to where uh, it it absolutely creates a paradigm shift um especially as it pertains to artificial intelligence it's not listen it's not a question of if i don't care how fanciful this sounds i don't care how um, sci-fi this sounds to people it's not a question of if forget that it's only a question of when the only way this is not going to happen is if the human race exterminates itself uh, before these technologies are matured sufficiently to where that paradigm shift happens and this the paradigm shift that is coming is going to have it's going to have consequent biblical consequences it's going to have salvific consequences that's why i said if you're not if you are not t considering if you're not taking into consideration the things that are actually developing on the earth as we speak then you're not going to have an accurate paradigm concerning the end of the age um, one of the things that i'm going to be talking about at the conference is and i'll give you a um, i'll give you a preview of some of my talk here what i'll be something that I've discovered gradually over the years and uh, especially in the last few years is that and this is something that that most people just absolutely are clueless of and, and that includes many people in the scientific community the, the, the people in the scientific community the individuals that would be uh, aware of this and are aware and are greatly alarmed are the population geneticists because they know that genetically speaking the human race is rapidly degenerating genetically speaking we are rapidly devolving uh, to use that uh, to use that term devolving from adam obviously but and we have been since the beginning since the fall but um in the modern age that that process of devolution has been greatly accelerated in fact we're devolving at such an astounding rate that um and I don't want to get into all of the technical uh the technical details but we're evolving at such a rate that we can't keep up anymore with all of the uh the genetic diseases the genetic disorders that are popping up all over the place um what we have to remember is that the human race in terms of our fitness in terms of our vitality in terms of our our lifespan we think we're doing really well because we're now living into our 80s the only reason, the only reason that human beings are living into their 80s is because we have a technological prop. It is it we have a technological prop that is propping up our species. If that prop were to be kicked out from under us, uh, we would be in a very pathetic condition. We would be in a very dire condition. And so uh, we have technology that's been keeping pace with uh, our genetic degeneration, or at least, um, or at least helping us to remedy some of it to some degree. 
But there is no way. By the way, what I'm saying right now, this is a consensus among population geneticists. There is no way that we know of right now to stop the absolute genetic degeneration, the genetic decay that we are facing, our species is facing at this present time. In fact, what they're saying is that we're headed for an extinction-level event because our genetics, are de our, our genome is degenerating at such an accelerated rate. Well, that's a fact. I mean, it's not th th this idea is not even disputed among population geneticists, um, and and it's it's not spoken of in the general populace because we have this technological prop. We all assume that we're all getting healthier that we're all getting stronger. We watch the NFL, we watch the NBA, we see these guys, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. And the only reason that that is the case is because of the technological prop. It is not because we are genetically becoming more fit. The scientific data proves that that is not the case. The opposite is the case. We are genetically um, less fit. We are genetically, um, we are genetically less uh, prodigious than our, uh, than our, our antecedents. So, uh, it, it, we're coming to a critical, a crisis, catastrophic, um, what's what's called actually a catastrophic mutational meltdown in our in our DNA. And again, this is this information is flying quietly under the radar right now, but population geneticists are well aware of and have been writing about it since the 50s. And uh, the guys in the 50s were concerned about it, and they, for example, in the 50s. In the 1950s, uh, geneticists were growing increasingly concerned about genetic degeneration of the human pop populace of their day, which they estimated, by the way, to be occurring at a rate of roughly 0.1 to 0.3 nucleotide mutations per person per generation. Well, uh, one of the more renowned geneticists among this group, a guy by the name of Herman Mueller proposed that just one deleterious bad mutation per person per generation would lead to an inevitable long-term genetic deterioration of the human race. That was back in the 1950s. Well, we now know unequivocally today that there are hundreds, in fact, there are over a thousand deleterious mutations per person per generation, deleterious uh, um, gene mutations on the nucleotide level per person per generation. And that is a conservative number, a thousand per person per generation. Remember, Dr. Uh, Herman Mueller proposed that just one would be enough to, uh, to instigate a, an inevitable long-term genetic extinction, basically, a de de deterioration leading to the extinction of our species. So, um, we also know that human fitness, the overall vitality of our species, has been declining for several decades at a rate of approximately 3 to 5% per generation. In other words, we are rapidly devolving, genetically speaking. And if you throw, and that's just genetics, that's not even dealing with um, the social component, the and social Tim, component. Real, real quick, the... Um the study that just came out about the sperm count in the Western world uh, declining by over 60% in the last 40 years uh, verifies and says a lot to what you just laid out. It's no accident either. No. It, it does. 
it part of that listen there's a there's a twofold situation that's happening right now one is a is a is a man-made catastrophe let's say um, um, a situation which is being propagated uh, by a very evil group of people who who are into population control and who want to um, basically who want to get rid of large portions of the population that is happening that's happening in the background that's why we're seeing a lot of the things that we're seeing in terms of the sperm count they're purposely uh, putting um, they're pur- they're purposely attempting to demasculize the uh, or demasculate the populace, uh, um, and that fits ex- right along into what you guys were just talking about concerning the the uh, trans uh, gender ban in, in the military. There is an there is an active program of um, of demasculate demasculization happening in the United States, especially in the United States. So that that contributes that is contributing to the underlying problem. The underlying problem being that we are rapidly deteriorating as a species, genetically speaking. So when you put those two things together, we we have a crisis on our hands, and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, um, the cancer epidemic has been quietly ravaging the human race for some decades now. And cancer is fundamentally a genetic disorder resulting from damage from mutated genes. I mean, the the uh, the American Cancer Society released its um, earlier this year released its projections for for 2017. Their projections projections of the cancer epidemic in the United States. In the United States, 1,700,000 new cancer cases will be diagnosed this year alone. 600,000 people will die. One in two males, one in three females will develop cancer in their lifetime. And this is, we've just assimilated this epidemic into society. We've, we, we, we've all been touched by it. My mom died of cancer when I was 14. We've all been, uh, uh, greatly affected by this epidemic. And yet we've just assimilated it into our collective psyche. We have not connected the dots. Our species is degenerating and we are headed for a cataclysmic apocalyptic scenario that's coming very soon and the consequences of which as i said earlier are are, are going to be are going to be epic they're going to be biblical in proportion and are going to have a bearing on uh, the salvific question the the question of salvation and uh, it's again. This all of this is snowballing together. It's it's coming to a convergent point. The technology so, uh, scientists are rapidly um, attempting to create some kind of a synthetic housing for the human um, for the for the human psyche. For the, we already know that um, the brain is going to be mapped, just like the genome was mapped back in the late 90s. Um, the brain will also soon be mapped. It will be sequenced, so to speak. Yeah. And we will, we, Tim, I'm sorry, go ahead. You, but this was done, this was a directive, an executive order done on, under the Obama administration, um, not only mapping the brain, but mapping the different neurological connections in the brain. Like you said, just basically down to, you know, every single gene. And this is something that has been ongoing, uh, this, uh, the brain mapping for over, since 2011, if I remember correctly. And I've done a lot of research into this, and they uh, have a specific purpose in mind with this kind of technology. 
and it goes well beyond what we even understand right now into the realm of what you alluded to earlier about, you know, the merging of machines with the biological components of the brain and how those two things work together. Uh, if you put a, a piece of brain matter in a computer chip together, the brain matter and the computer chip basically merge and grow together. And I think people need to understand the, the implications of that. And this is exactly why they're trying to map the brain. Yes, and the reason why they're scrambling to create a, to, to begin the process of creating a synthetic body that can that can that can be host to a to the human psyche because they would love to be able to download the well I shouldn't say they would love to they're they're already working towards being able to download the your memories and 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 the the different uh, the different psychological components that make you you to be able to download that into a computer or into some kind of a synthetic body perhaps a body that is made up of of nanobots or something to this effect i mean that's that's what uh, guys like kurzweil and all kinds and and many of these other futurists have been saying for years but the the, the shocking reality is that the human genome is soon to become inviable so uh the human race is becoming inviable rapidly and what that means is we are headed for an inevitable crisis moment as a species. The genetic revolution is going to take off. I would contend that the genetic revolution began um, back uh, when we sequenced the genome back in the late 90s. And by the way, President Bill Clinton was the one who, who was a part of that. And he, was, he was in the White House during that, uh, um, during that uh, technological Feat that was accomplished in the late 90s, the sequencing of the human genome, which basically means that the blue, we were able to map the blueprint of our genetic code. Um, and it is, uh, according to what's called the technological imperative, the, inevitable, the inevitability thesis, uh, once you introduce a useful technology into society, what follows is the inevitable development of that technology. So genetically speaking, uh, we are going to enter the hybrid age, period. It's going to happen. The genetic revolution has only just begun, and it is going to carry us into a hybrid paradigm, not only hybridized, no, not only a hybrid uh, paradigm which involves um, the genetic component, but also which involves a technological component um, in terms of synthetic bodies, nanotechnology, um, downloading and then re-uploading the human psyche, all kinds of Technologies that, again, as I said earlier, are progressing at a uh, are progressing at a exponential rate at this very time. It's it is in every sense of the word apocalyptic. The scenario that's about to unfold on the earth. Well, what can we do to slow it down, if anything? Uh, I'm sorry, you cut out there for a minute. Uh, no, that, I mean, what can we do? What can we do to mitigate it? I mean, aside from praying and and understanding what they are doing uh, through this technology and, and uh, science, is there anything we can do to to not only you know stop the the the, the sperm count from going down or um, anything in our power that can, that we can do as as people spreading in the information, to exposing it, right? Yeah, t- Tim, are you there, man? Okay, I'm, you guys cut out for about 20 seconds. I think we're back. Then. All right. What, the, 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 question, the question at hand is, what can we do, Tim, to mitigate, to stop, to delay, to whatever? I mean, aside from carpet bombing. Uh, if anything, yeah. Yeah. Uh, aside from, or in addition to exposing this, what can we do? Well, this has to do with 
the events that are prophesied to unfold in at the end of the age. So in terms of what can we do to stop this, um, the, the, the gears of this mechanism are, are have been turning for a while, and there's no way to stop them. It, it, we are heading for an inevitable scenario. And for the, for the believer, for the unbeliever, um, obviously in the, context, in, the, in the biblical context, the only hope that we have is, is, is in Jesus, specifically in the resurrection. And that's very interesting because what, what is going to take place on the earth before the end of the age, and we, we may be nearing that point, um, is a, is a, how can I put this? A counterfeit salvation, a counterfeit offer of salvation that will be um, that will be proposed to the human race, because we are heading for a catastrophic mutational meltdown, genetically speaking, that is inevitable. And so the only solution is going to be either a some kind of a synthetic body, or b, which I think is more likely, somebody, something is going to show up and offer us their genetic components to fix our uh, devolving condition. And that, I believe, gets into the um, the mark of the beast. It gets into the, the scenario that's going to unfold at the end of the age. Remember that in the book of Daniel, there's this very strange... There's this very strange lie that, line that reads concerning the final empire that's going to arise on the earth, and they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. And it's, it's, I believe that's exactly what we're heading, heading for. They, some kind of a non-human force, is going to offer, um, salvation to the human race in terms of our deteriorating genetic condition in the form of hybridization. Is that what Daniel talks about? And, and they shall try to, uh, you know, mingle the seeds together, but it will not cleave. I believe that that is an allusion to the scenario that we that that is quickly appro- approaching. Look, here's here's how you have to approach biblical prophecy. We are living in an, in an advanced age, so uh, the Bible is not going to prophesy something that is not relevant to the age in which the events are actually going to occur. So we are entering the hybrid age. We are already we, the genetic revolution has already begun. As I said, it began in the late 90s. And certainly um, at the beginning of this century. So the, the gears are in motion. Uh, this is what's happening on the earth. You cannot close your eyes and pretend that it's not. It is. There is a cancer epidemic, and there will be 1,700,000 new cases diagnosed this year alone in the United States. We are in a process of genetic devolution, not evolution, devolution. And of course, we're devolving from Adam and have been since the beginning, but it, that process is now greatly accelerated. And so it, what we're what we're coming to here, as I keep saying, is an inevitable, an inevitable convergence, an inevitable apocalyptic scenario that cannot be averted. On the other side of this scenario is the the answer, the great hope, um, the the resurrection. That and and it, by the way, the rex, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, Adam was the first man, and it was through one man, the Bible says, through Adam, that sin. And death entered the world. And then it says, and then we're told in the New Testament, and through one man, salvation comes for the human race, and that is Jesus. And so the resurrection uh, actually 
returns us to the to the blueprint that we initially had as human beings, which was Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. So that's precisely where the these um, the you can call them the elite cult practitioners, the, the the human components and the non-human components that are involved in all of this. That's where they're trying to take the human race is to a counterfeit um, a counterfeit Christ a counterfeit restoration of what we've lost, i.e., the, the, uh, what we had in the garden, what we had, what our progenitor Adam had, walking with the Lord in the garden in a transcendent, transcendental state. He was very much in an ascended, transcendental state, transcended state before, before he sinned and death entered the world. And so that is the state that, uh, that the, that the futurists, that the occultists, um, that the global elite they want to they want to um, subvert the gospel they want to they want to return mankind to that transcended condition but reject but rejecting the gospel they're trying to do an end around the cross of Christ and the resurrection and um, and that's where these technologies are going to that's how they're going to culminate they're going to culminate in what is called the post-human condition the human race is headed for a post-human condition. And when that happens, um, there's a number of things that are going to be set into motion that have to do with the end of the age. And all of these things have to be factored in, again, um, concerning the end of the age, concerning the things that are already unfolding, concerning the things that are going to unfold in the future, and not many people are adding all of these things together. But when you do, I'll tell you what, when you add all of these things together and then you go back... Um, to where Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, and you look at the days that we're actually living in right now, there's no way that Jesus would have uttered that statement without being knowledgeable, without having full understanding of what the end of the age would look like. And the best representative, the best representation, uh, the best analogy to the times that we're living in, the hybrid age, happened to be the days of Noah. And if I can, so it's a, if I can jump in here, I was thinking about that very, this very issue of which you're speaking of, and um, let me see if I can make sense out of the freak show in my head when I was thinking about this. Okay, when when Jesus made that statement, our lack of knowledge, or, um, and this is where you come in. Because I was thinking about you and Steve Quayle at the same time. I was thinking about this statement. It is because, I believe this, um, as it was in the days of Noah, okay, and uh, making reference to that, has not our history, the very history that you and Steve Quayle and uh, uh, um, Mr. Uh, uh, Rambla and others, has not that very history been sanitized? And you, you and others are, are bringing forth the true history as it was at that time in the days of Noah. In other words, it's not, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, the, the key is not today. The key is understanding the conditions that existed back then. I don't know if I made sense. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense, and I think the answer to your question is absolutely affirmative. Uh, the, the, if you understand 
the reality, the, di- the, the, the dynamic that was at play, the dynamics that were at play in the world before the flood. And you understand that the consequence of what happened was that, A, the human race was being devoured, and the human race was in a very bad state um, because, of, because of the entities that were inhabiting the earth with the human race and, and, and because of the general um, proliferation of gross sin and murder and, 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 and basically the assault uh, on God and the law of God. If you understand that, that, that as a consequence, the earth was destroyed, and a global flood that this global cataclysm precipitated because uh, of the the, the things that were occurring on the earth and then you look at what's happening now uh, you would understand that this is going to this is going to stir the ire of of God and we're going and the earth is going to once again go through a global catastrophic um, scenario in which the wrath of God wipes the slate clean again and that is exactly what happens. The, the, the first world was destroyed by the flood. The second will be destroyed by fire. So say the scriptures. So um, if you, if you, and also you can identify if you begin to understand the again the dynamics that were at play in the uh, the the, dy- the dynamics that were in play in the antediluvian age, and you look at what's happening now, you can identify the characters, the plot line of what's unfolding. So there is. There has been a vested interest, not just by the Smithsonian, not just by the Vatican, not just by these other institutions, to cover up the truth of the, of the past, not just by the uh, uh, Darwinian apologists, but by, but by our adversary, but, but by the devil himself. Because history is going full circle back to the beginning. And if we understand the beginning, we can understand the end. We can understand the End from the beginning. The beginning from the end. I mean, it's, it is full circle back to the beginning. That's what is occurring. And it, it disarms, uh, it disarms the human populace if they don't have an accurate understanding of the past. If we're heading full circle back into the same kind of scenario, you're totally disarmed. You are ill-equipped to deal with the deception that's coming because you don't understand that this isn't the first time. This is not uh, something that's brand new to the planet. This is a replay of what occurred, of what, of what has already occurred. And that is, in fact, uh, that is, in fact, the very statement, the very realization uh, that, that Solomon had. He said that what has been is what will be, and that what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. And I think that was a very prescient and prophetic statement, because that is precisely what is going on now you have to understand that that period of time the age of Noah the antediluvian age the time before the great catastrophe the flood of Noah the, the time before the great cataclysm the, in the Septuagint the, the flood is, retur- is referred to uh, uh, with the Greek word for cataclysm the great cataclysm that occurred and annihilated the old world that that, uh, that, that cataclysm that that world, that that time that existed was what is referred to in the myth and lore of many ancient cultures as the Golden Age. That was the time when the gods descended from heaven and mingled themselves with the seed of men. That's when they came down. It's the Genesis 6 affair, but it's recorded in, in basically in the myth and lore of, of every major um, uh, ancient civilization that we know of. 
had some version of this story where the gods descend, they take wives, they produce, they have offspring, the offspring in many cases are giants. Um, they're demigods. These are the demigods. They live among men. The gods are here <clears throat> inhabiting among men. Their offspring are ruling the earth, are uh, to, to, to an extent setting up an empire in the earth, governing the affairs of men, in some cases, in other cases, in conflict with men. Um, and the golden age by the occult is looked on very favorably. In fact, it is the golden age that the occult is working to resurrect from the ashes of the antediluvian empire. That is their goal. So you have all of these technologies that are, that are, um, that are being, um, developed as we speak, again, on an exponential growth curve. And you have in the, and you have the scientists that are working in the futurists to work, working to develop these technologies. But in the background, you have the occult. In the background, you have the mystery schools that know what the, what the, the reason behind why these technologies are being developed. And they're getting ready to, and they already are, creating a, 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 um, a theological foundation, a philosophical foundation for what is going to occur in, in the sense that the gods are coming back. We are going to re-initiate, we are going to resurrect the golden age on the earth. And the, 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 um, Sibylline prophecies that, that talk about the golden race that's going to rise, that's going to, to, to descend from heaven. That's what it's indicating. There is a, a golden race, a race that hails from the time before the flood of Noah that's going to show up to ostensibly save the human race when the only salvation for human beings is in the cross of Christ, period. But they're going to offer a very practical salvation, and that is the salvation of our species. Uh, the salvation of our of our of ourselves of our bodies the continuation uh, the the continued propagation of our species on earth and again as 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 outlandish as outrageous as this sounds we are we are rapidly progressing towards this scenario and and according again according to um according to po- population geneticists the consensus is the human race we are we have a, our clock is running out of time our, our, our genome is like a ticking time bomb right now. It's got such a, 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 a mutation, what's called a mutation load in our genome. It's, it's in their estimation, it is irreversible. So, um, it's, and that's when I believe that the they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men is going to come into play. And, and when that happens, all bets are off. I mean, a new human paradigm is going to rise in the earth, life will change drastically, drastically from one day to the next. And, um, and that's part of the reason why I feel this urgency that, that, that this, the timing of this conference, the topics that are being discussed, discussed in this conference, what I feel like has been laid on my own heart, what I know has been laid on Steve's, the information that Anselm P. Rombo is going to be bringing to the table, it, it, it is, it is all preparatory for this um, astonishing scenario that's about to unfold on the earth. Tim, you just laid out a whole bunch of uh, uh, prophetic and, and historical, biblical information, and we know, you know, as you already said, there's nothing new under the sun. Where we were in the days of Noah, we will also be in the end times, and 
you know, it's amazing to sit here and watch how far we've come in just a short period of time from the inception of the Internet, the computer technology, to now where the computer technology is, uh, you know, basically able to break down the human genomes and everything that a human does to the point where the artificial intelligence now, and I want to get into this a little bit the in, in the 10 minutes we have left, the artificial intelligence aspect of this, where computer programs are able to create their own language to communicate with each other. What kind of role is the artificial intelligence going to play in this recreation of the human and animal kingdom? Well, artificial intelligence is sort of a wild card in my estimation. We are already developing artificial intelligence. It's not it's it, again, it's not a it's not an if scenario. It's it's simply uh, a question of when. When will artificial intelligence surpass human intelligence? And the answer is within a decade. That's the conservative answer, by the way. Some people believe it's going to happen within the next five years. Um, within a decade, artificial intelligence will surpass human intelligence. And that is a, I mean, the implications of that event, the singularity, as Ray Kurzweil refers to it, are, are multifaceted. There are all kinds of things that that, that scenario can precipitate. I mean, once... Um, machines become smart enough to replicate themselves and to improve upon their own design. Um, we could we could run into a scenario in which um, machines are no longer are taking the initiative themselves to do just that. Are taking the initiative themselves to create and to build. Now, though, I don't believe I do not believe that the human soul um, that we're going to be able to upload the human soul to machine. I don't believe that that's the way that the physics of the soul works. Um, but we do have to remember that there are these entities, these disembodied spirits that that have their origin in the world before the flood. They're called unclean spirits in the New Testament that can inhabit bodies of flesh, whether they be human bodies or or swine the bodies of swine, and not only one of them, but legions of them. So there's obviously dynamics, components in play that uh, that we haven't yet realized, especially um, as it pertains to physicists and, and geneticists. They haven't even come close to understanding, the, let's call it the physics of the supernatural. Um, and so there's all kinds of things that artificial intel intelligence can precipitate, all kinds of scenarios. Um, uh, but again, it's going to be a mixture of a bunch of things together. I mean, you've got the AI, you've got the nanotechnology, um, the the nanobots that are going to be operating inside of our bodies. By the way, these nanobots are—you can't see them with the human eye. So imagine a scenario in which nanobots, either airborne nanobots or nanobots that are introduced into um, in, in, into the into the water supply of a major city. Are nanobots that are are de devised for for a deleterious purpose. In other words, uh, for for to do harm to the human being, to the human body, or that are designed to control the human mind, are released in, 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 in into the into the water systems in in a major city. I mean, the implications are so manifold that it's. I mean, we could spend six hours talking about plotting all of these um, uh, possible contingencies concerning AI, concerning the, the um, nanotechnology, concerning the information technology, which is the artificial intelligence, and concerning the, the genomic technology that's all unfolding, again, progressing at an exponential rate right now.
and it's coming so quickly. Most futurists predict that in the next decade, um, in the next decade or two, the uh, we're going to have artificial intelligence that surpasses the capacity of the human brain. We're going to have nanobots the size of blood cells that can be introduced into the human body and do all kinds of things, including things related to our uh, uh, related to our brains. And we're going to have the capability to create designer babies. In other words, we'll be able to create um, babies that are um, specifically designed uh, towards certain genetic capabilities, towards um, certain um, um, uh, cerebral capabilities. Basically, we'll be able to design an Einstein or a Michael Jordan. That's coming, inevitably. Inevitably, it's coming. All three of those things are coming in the next decade or two that is if the human race doesn't uh doesn't uh if we don't that we don't knock ourselves back into the stone age with nuclear weapons first which i don't think is going to happen but that's always a possible contingency as well uh, it really is a witch's brew of of catastrophe of cataclysm that that uh that's going on right now but you know remember what what jesus said in in uh concerning the end of the age that if those days were not cut short, they were not shortened, that no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days would be shortened. Well, that term, no one would sur- survive, is rendered differently uh, in depending on the version of the Bible that, that, that you're referencing. Some versions, and I believe this is the accurate reading of that statement, if those days were not, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be able to be saved, I believe is the correct rendering of that passage. In other words, um, the human race would be unsavable because uh, we're going to uh, transition ourselves out of our human condition and into a post-human condition using these technologies and I believe that is in fact the end goal wow. in terms of, of the devil's strategy. And, and that's a very important distinction the, the, those were you talk about a different meaning entirely um, that's a very important distinction that you pointed out there it is because it takes it from simply a matter of nobody would be able to be nobody would be left alive it takes it from that kind of a scenario to nobody would be eligible for salvation right is what I believe it's, yeah. it's really saying. Jesus was really saying concerning the time in which we're, in which uh, that that is quickly approaching, and you can see why that might be the case. Will be the case in my estimation. Do, do you, I've been. I really wanted to ask you this question, and, it, and I'm sure it's going to sound very academic to you, but the mark of the beast, literal chip in the forehead or uh, right hand, correct? I mean, that's your. I, I think that uh, in terms of there may be a chip, but I think that the fundamentally the mark of the beast, we have to focus on the word beast. And remember, it's 666. That is not the number of the devil. That is the number of man. You put these pieces together, and what I believe we have is a scenario in which uh, we're dealing with a genetic alteration of the human race. Okay. Now, and uh, okay, but however, that mark, that alteration... Um, the component, the component to that is one must uh, uh, submit to, uh, to 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 the elite, his or her allegiance to the beast, right? So, in other yes. words, it can't be forced upon someone. No. Okay, it will be it will be it will be a an act of volition, right? 
we will we will have to willfully accept this new human paradigm. By the way, not accepting the new human paradigm means basically we go extinct. The Christians, I mean, we die off because right. I just said that our, I mean, I was I, what I meant, to, um, um, what I was alluding to before is that we are devolving, we're degenerating, we're heading for an extinction moment. But that's okay because these, the hope of a believer is not some kind of a technological salvation. Our hope is in the resurrection. And so for a believer, that should, shouldn't shake our faith. But that's why Jesus says in the same context that um, that those who will overcome are those who will not love their lives unto death. In other words, they won't be willing to do anything. Um, they won't be willing to go to the extreme to save their lives and put that into a genetic con- context, put that into a technological context, and I think you can catch my drift. Got it. Yep. Yep. We have only uh, two minutes left. Uh, Tim, thank you so very much for spending your time with us. Uh, you're going to be speaking at the conference in Branson, Missouri. And, of course, yeah. just go to gen6conferences.com, uh, right? That's that's where to go. Almost gen sold out. Gen6conferences.com, yep. Right. Okay. And, and I can't, I, seriously, I can't wait to see you there. Uh, and uh, we just can't wait to see everyone there. Please sign up. Uh, go to gen6conferences.com. Sign up. There's only a few tickets left. And uh, if you don't get them now, you may not get them, get them at all. And the live streaming is also available uh, for purchase there as well. So, uh, Tim, God bless you, my friend. Thank you, man. It was a, it was a pleasure. Thank you guys uh, for having me on, and I am looking forward to meeting you in person in uh, in Branson. You know, I feel like I know you, but uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to fun to finally finally meet you. So, looking forward to it. All right, brother, you take care, man. You guys take care right. as well. See you. Wow, Joe. Yeah, you were off there. Okay. okay. So, yeah. You, you know what, folks? Um, what an incredible program tonight. With, yeah. With Matt Bracken and Tim Alperino, you see the covered tons of ground. Yeah, and and and, the, and my closing remark is this: um, I believe that when we look at what's the current events, whether it's the White House shakeup, whether it's the Iwan Brothers, regardless of the event, if we don't look at these events through the prism of biblical prophecy, we are missing a critical component to to properly analyze the context of what's taking place. And that is my concluding statement for the night. My concluding statement would be, folks, check out the two shows that we've been doing all week and we'll be continuing to do for a while now, the Doug Hagman Show uh, from 9 to 10 and the Hagman Daily Show with uh, John and myself from 2 to 3. You can get the archives on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio. You can hear it on Global Star Radio Network. And, folks, don't forget to go to the WorldNet Daily Superstore. Um, we, we haven't had a WorldNet Daily author on in, what, maybe a week, week and a half? But they're going to be coming back around here in the in the near future and use uh, promo code Hagman. Yeah, we don't have the graphic set up yet, but we will have that soon. Um, Super uh, WND Superstore promo code Hagman. It helps us out. It helps WND out. It helps getting the truth out, and that's all we want to do. See, I said closing statement, and uh, I opened my yeah, mouth again. Uh, oh, and by the way, tomorrow morning, nine to ten, man. Buckle in because I've got some things to say tomorrow on the Doug Hagman show. Oh, we're just going to talk about the weather on our show. So, yeah, you know, 
<laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, you guys are good together. I, I like that dynamic there. It's, it's different than you and I. No, it is good. It's, uh, it is different and it's, um, I don't know. We're, we're just going to keep trying new things. So folks, again, let us know what you think of the shows. If you've listened to them, you can send the feedback to studio at Hagman and Hagman.com. Oh, only if it's good and only if you no, r- write a note on a $20 bill and send it in. But I don't know. Yeah. On behalf of John Robertson, the program director and producer, on behalf of Eric the tech, on behalf of Jackie, my daughter, Renee, my wife, Joe, myself and lady, the studio dog, and of course, her buddy Theo. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for your your financial blessings to keep this program going. May God bless you and keep you safe until tomorrow. Good night. <laughs>